Halo, halo, Sacred Icon listeners. We used to do ads for other people, but I decided, why don't we do one for ourselves? Whether you're here listening to us for the first time or you've heard every episode, I'd like to briefly tell you what we're about and how you can support us. We have been doing this podcast since 2019, and with that has come lots of changes. We started as a primarily Halo-only show, but have evolved, combat evolved, over the years to talk about a wide variety of things in the realm of nerd culture. As you can imagine, we've made numerous changes to our platforms, usernames, and emails over the years, so now is the time for me to set things right and give the Covenant back their bomb. You can join our Discord by clicking the link included on our podcast feed. You can also send us an email or a voice message at sacrediconpodcast at gmail.com. We have a YouTube channel at youtube.com slash sacredicon, and we no longer use Twitter or X or whatever else the kids are calling it these days. So if you see someone who looks like us there, just know it's not us. Lastly, you can support us on patreon.com slash sacredicon and receive a bevy of bonus content. We're so glad you chose us to be the voice in your ear on this particular day and hope you enjoy the episode ahead. What's good, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Sacred Icon Podcast Christmas Edition. <laughs> a podcast game. Fuck me. Fuck me. Fuck me. Okay. <clears throat> What's good, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Sacred Icon Podcast Holiday Edition. A video game podcast. Fuck me in the ass. Okay. <clears throat> Let's try that again. Very holiday. <laughs> What's good, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Sacred Icon Podcast Holiday Edition, a video game podcast for video game. Fuck me, I keep slipping on that part. What did, what did you name the? Did you change the subtitle at all? Uh, for the right now, there is no subtitle. Okay, okay, doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. What's good, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Sacred Icon Podcast. A video game podcast for video game enthusiasts. We're here with a little holiday edition as we near the march to Christmas, getting a little bit closer. And Brian and I are going to do a little year in review looking back at a slew of games that came out. And, you know, if you're not privy, if you've been under the rock, you know, there's a lot. So, Joshy Hargis, Brian Arvett. Brian, we're back for the second episode this week. How you doing? How you feeling? I'm feeling pretty good. I mean, I say that, but I've actually had like a sore throat and everything. Last night, I thought, I don't know if I was going to be able to record because it was hard to talk, but uh, apparently I'm doing fine now. And yeah, we just kind of wanted to talk about like kind of the big question a lot of people have asked, which is, is 2023 the best year ever in video games? There's been a lot of video games this year, and a lot of them have been high quality, um, you know, games uh, starting new trends and, and really just uh, setting new standards in the industry. So we're going to go through the list starting in January and go all the way through. And we're going to touch on, it's a mixture of things. Games that we know are important. Games that are important to Josh. Games that are important to me. And that's kind of what we're just going to touch on. So we will inevitably skip some game that someone probably wanted us to touch on. But, you know, it's crazy. Like, if we if we just simply mentioned every game on this list, I don't know if we could keep the podcast that would probably take an hour of the podcast alone. I mean, so the first game we're going to mention is already um, 24 games down the list into January. So, you know, pretty insane. Yeah, there's lots of games listed here that I've, we never even heard of or we don't think were really worth mentioning. But the first game that uh, kind of popped up in January was Forspoken for the PS5. It was a PlayStation 5 exclusive, it was a second party release, meaning that. It's not a, a title that Sony owns, but it's one that's 
that they got exclusivity to. It's actually owned by Square. Um, basically, when Final Fantasy XV was done in development, the team from Final Fantasy XV went off and started a new uh, studio called Luminous Productions, and they started to work on their new IP, which was going to be Forspoken. Uh, Forspoken came out in January. It was kind of the first big tentpole AAA game of this year, and it launched to mostly mixed reviews, got a lot of crap. A lot of people didn't really like it. Um, it is a, a third-person, you know, action-adventure type game. Uh, maybe maybe you could say RPG, probably, um, which is typical for the PlayStation ecosystem. Um, I thought it looked... I thought it looked more good than bad, but, I mean, it seems to have really high production values and all those things. Uh, but, yeah, it just it didn't seem to be to be it for people. Um, it's a game I'd actually like to try. I'm just waiting for it to go on a very cheap sale. But it ultimately did fail to meet expectations, and it's it led to that studio being folded right back into to Square Enix. Really? I didn't yeah, know that. Yeah, it's a big-budget title, and it just didn't do... It didn't move the needle at all. I mean... Oof. Yeah, so... I don't know. Did you look into this at all, Josh, back when it came out? Or well, uh, yeah. Before I answer that, how low does it have to go for you to pull the trigger on and buy it? Forspoken. Um, the lowest, the the, uh, the most money I could see me paying for it is if it was at nineteen ninety nine. Mm-hmm. But I honestly am hoping to get it for like ten, not twenty. Okay. So which okay. which you know that's what sucks is when there's a game that's of interest like the. If you want to support it, you pay it for it at a higher price. But let, let me clarify here: I'm interested in playing the game, but I'm not interested in playing it at a sixty dollars price. Which, which ultimately means they probably, you know, they probably did fail, right? Because it's a game that doesn't seem to capture my interest at at the entry level that a game should. It stars a, a female protagonist that's like obsessed with their shoes and has a, and it's like set in modern times, but then she's like sent to another like fantasy universe and she has a cuff on her arm that talks to her. It's, I don't know, and it's got some really cringe dialogue in it. Uh, that was one thing that I remember was making the rounds on Twitter and stuff was how cringe the dialogue was. So, I mean, yeah, it doesn't feel like a, to me, it feels like a game I'd be excited to play that I got at a bargain price. So I don't think a single person in our community played it. I don't know of any, I don't recall at least, but uh, yeah, I'm watching uh, footage of this now. I think I'm going to do that for every game we talk about to get a refresher on it. But I, like you said, I remember the scuttlebutt on like Twitter and just social media talking about the commentary. Like, yeah, she talks to that bangle or whatever it is. Yeah, it's uh, like a, a cuff. I think yeah. I think the name of the cuff is cuff. <laughs> okay, <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. Wow, very creative. Yeah, but yeah. So I remember seeing this promoted and. I know Jeff was very hyped for this game initially. I still don't know if he actually got it or played it. And that's the thing with so many of these games, right? I mean, I can think of so many times, at least myself, where I see a game and I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm super interested. And I follow it for a while. And then there's just something in there where I just I fall off. But I'm like, what happened? You know, I always try to yeah. like self-analyze. Like, where was the point? Of, where, where was the buy-in for me versus the fall off? But, yeah, with this game, it seemed like... Um, Everyone was excited for it from what I noticed until they started to get closer to release and you started to get more like dialogue. You started to get more like in-game footage and that's when people started to get that like, oh, oh, I don't know. I don't know if this yeah. is going to be good or mid or you know what. So, and that's that's usually, sometimes it's, you know, you can just dismiss it as like, oh, that's just vitriol online, but 
case in point with this one, I think it ended up turning out to be true. I mean, looking at the footage, it looks it looks beautiful graphically, yeah. but we know it's that's got really not cool everything. Movement. Yeah, it, it, yeah. There's some of the traversal stuff, the combat looks fun, but I don't know. You know, like if I was younger and I had all the time in the world and you know uh, infinite money, this might be something I would probably pick up as a bargain bin too. But I don't know if I will ever play this one but some of the like hardcore stuff she's doing looks very cool i know? went to check like a week ago to see how much it costs because i was like oh maybe it's time for me to buy forespoken finally still full price really yeah full was there price. any black friday deals that they had on digital there might have been a black friday deal i missed or something but like just checking last week like i thought for sure like it would at least be like you know 45 bucks or something but it was not even that it was still full price so uh, but you know the way i look at it is if I mean, I'm not sure how aware you are of this, Josh, but like Final Fantasy 15 is the last game that this studio. I mean, they weren't called Luminous Productions then, but the last game they made was Final Fantasy 15. Final Fantasy 15 is often one of the most often criticized Final Fantasy games, and it's many people's least favorite Final Fantasy. So Final Fantasy 15 gets a lot of shit. I know I love it. I know people in our community love it, um, but to see that studio that made 15 one of the most like um, criticized Final Fantasies go and make a new IP that doesn't have any of that familiarity of Final Fantasy, you can kind of see why maybe this is the result. Like, a studio that already made a, co- a game that people didn't love, go and, and make a new game without uh, the IP there to back them up. So, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what it really is about it. I think it's just... I think a lot of things don't come together. I think the, the mishmash of, like, contemporary day with, like, her and her, like, tennis shoes i know she has like an obsession with her tennis shoes and she like the game starts off i think you're like modern day and she has to go to court or something like that Mm. then you end up getting sent to this fantasy realm and then there's like all the dialogue it's kind of cringe and there's a lot of talking between her and cuff cuff's not probably that interesting of a character you know i don't know just didn't land uh, you know i mean looking at it now there's definitely some things that look cool to me i mean the gameplay looks cool the the way she like parkours around at times and she kind of like almost looks like she shoots with her wrists like she literally just points her wrists out yeah. kind of like shoots from that cuff or bangle or whatnot but some of that looks really cool but then some of the world she's traversing in look a bit uninspired and that does make me think about just how much um substance we had or uh, content we had overall between video games and movies this year and it just like initially going into 2023 i was so excited for that big shotgun blast because it seemed like on paper that that was going to be the case and then it, it did turn out to be that way. But I don't know. I feel like a lot of the, at least at the point we're at, this was a big, like, um, I don't know, touch grass moment or uh, well, it humble, was a week. humble yourself year. Cause yeah. uh, it just I felt like watching publications say that like, oh, wow, like this was our big kickoff moment to 2023 and it kind of sucks. Well, yeah. I mean, it's just like when I look at the, how uninspired the world looks, I mean, that's just my take. I mean, maybe someone really latched onto it, but you know, it just reminds me of how much content there is now. And like, sometimes sometimes it just feels like a big puzzle piece and you have a lot of stuff there that like, looks like it could work, but then you're missing a lot of core things that really stop it from being good. So then you end up with a lot of like middling stuff. And, you know, I know that word mid is overused now, but I can understand that term a lot more in terms of some of the movies this year that on paper seemed cool and then didn't turn out that way. And same with some games where this had a lot of hype behind it, look cool, comes out and, Especially at the end of the year, when you look back on it, it's like it's very forgettable, you know. Yeah, and I think you you'll agree with me, Josh. Out. But I think my biggest problem—I think you'll actually fully agree with me—but like my biggest problem with the term "mid" is that people often refer to a game like Forspoken as "mid," but what they mean is "mid for triple A." 
You know, like mm-hmm. if we were actually taking all of the video games that release in a year, including the ones that we don't talk about, like I'm just looking at this list, like the legend of Tyandine and the space or our colossal cave. Like if you just look at all the games that come out this year, Forspoken's an above mid game, I would say. It's just when you put Forspoken alongside the, the Final Fantasies and the Spider-Mans and the Baldur's Gates of the world, it's very mid for that AAA bracket. You know what I mean? I understand. I understand. There's a distinction to be had there, and I know some people just use words to write off stuff without having any nuance to the conversation, and it kind of sucks. But, uh, yeah. yeah, this does ultimately look a bit forgettable. But, you know, like I said on the last podcast, you know, you could release a game called Shitmeister. You could release Butt Blaster 40,000, and there's going to, for every 100,000 people to play it, there's going to be like at least 20,000 that probably latch onto it, love it, want a sequel. So yeah, there's got to be honestly, fans dude, of this. The way I look at Forspoken is that game's gonna. I'm gonna get that game at like somewhere between ten dollars and seventeen dollars, and I'm gonna play it, and I'm gonna be like, yeah, pretty much everything people said about it's true. But I had a good time, and you know, I'll, I'll probably be like a. I wouldn't say I'd be a defender of it, but I'd be like a. Yeah, it's it's not a bad game, you know. Yeah, pick it up at a good price, you know. That that's what it looks like to me, you know. Well, it's not too often I see you get a game and fall off or not be interested in it you usually yeah. kind of know what you're gonna like and what you don't and you're not gonna waste time playing something you don't yeah i think so you what about this one kind of interested to you though before we move on um it's a what, couple what things. has you wanting to at least pay ten dollars yeah a couple things one i mean i know sony gets crap for all their like third person games but mm-hmm. like that's my favorite type of game is third person games um it's uh made by the people who made final fantasy 15 which for me i liked 15 and it just looks like a, it looks like a fun time. I mean, it looks like a, I mean, it looks like a fun open world. I mean, I can't imagine I have a bad time with it. I think I would just walk away with from it the same as everyone else, being like, "Did I need to play this? No. Was it that special? Not really." But well, the protagonist, uh, the gal, seems cool. I don't know a whole lot about her character base, you know, other than what you told me. But no, I know people cool. were complaining about her writing and, and defending the actress, saying the actress was good, but the writing was the problem. So. Oh, that can definitely happen. Yeah, which I mean, hopefully happen. that's the case. But at the same time, I do, I do kind of, and I, I'm guilty of it too. But I do kind of laugh sometimes when I hear, you know, just swaths of people on the internet being like, "It's really not the voice acting that was the problem; it was the writing." And I'm thinking to myself, like, what education do you have to determine that at all? Like, you're probably like 14 in your basement. Like, I don't even, just like me, like I don't have any uh, education to, you know, back that up. No, but I, I get it though. I feel like I experienced that with Hayden Christensen. He did a movie called Shattered Glass, and his acting was pretty strong in that. But then you see it in Attack of the Clones at the time, and it's like, oof. Hmm. And I love Hayden, obviously, but yeah, it wasn't the best in that. So it kind of shows when the writing's different, when it's uh, not good. Yeah. Anyway, we Gosh, can I move think on, we're on to the next, the next one. I think we're on the same page for the next one's Hi-Fi Rush. Yeah. We're about. yeah I already had the video brought up because I thought, well, I'd feel bad if we didn't talk about that one because neither one of us played this, were interested in this, but it was obviously... Uh, a big exciting point early in the year. I mean, let's be real here. This is a game that really never left the conversation from January all the way to December, which is really impressive for a rhythm action, cel-shaded kind of artistic game from the people that brought you the Evil Within. There was no hyper buildup. It was stealth dropped from Microsoft. And this was like, this is when people were like, oh man, this is going to be Xbox's year. They're going to kick ass. They're bringing it. You know, we didn't know this game was coming out. High Fright Rush ended up being up for several nominees in the Game Awards. Um, it ended up winning one for Best Audio Design. Um, 
it's a rhythm action game by by Tango, who made it uh, The Evil Within. Uh, Josh and I didn't play it. It's not something that particularly interested us. But like I said, it's been in the conversation all year. People love this game. I'm sure there'll be a sequel. You know, it's this is we're we're already here in January. We're at a we're at a game of the year. We're at the Game Awards winner already with Hi-Fi Rush. So I got nothing bad to say about it. I just think it doesn't really appeal to me and Josh's taste. No, no, not personally. I mean, it's got a cool cell shaded look. I mean, someone will probably correct me and say it's not cell shaded, but it still has that kind of animation going forward a bit. And uh, on the surface, I mean, I think it looks cool visually, but uh, I think it's got some slight rhythm elements in it. Again, I'm out of my element with that. I'm, I, I, I just, I'm ignorant. I don't know for sure, but I think the combat revolves around rhythm presses and stuff. Okay, I could be wrong. But yeah, it just wasn't something that particularly interested. In, it was interesting to me, and I said this on the last episode, and I, I'm not going to poo poo on. I'll poo poo more on myself. Pee pee poo poo. But I, this was the kind of game when it came out. I saw so many Xbox gamers championing it, and that was really cool because it did feel like an early dub. And this was a shadow drop, correct, Brian? Yep. yep. So very cool. I absolutely love shadow drops big fan of shadow drops but i uh, when this came out you know especially after how 2022 went for xbox i was like come on xbox like it's cool People to see a shadow drop it's cool they were to clinging see. on to anything yeah it just felt like you're you're grasping at uh thin air and and it i don't know kind of felt like low-hanging fruit like it's a it's a good game it scored well and i like you said brian it won an award but I'm just like, this is not the kind of stuff I want to see from Xbox. Like, if there's more to come this year that's bigger and better, absolutely. And in case in point, we got it. But, uh, you know, at the time, I was just seeing this as the first entry after a pretty weak 2022 showing. And I thought, oh, man. Like, And I'm happy that Xbox gamers are excited, but I'm like, you should want better. You should demand better. You should. This almost feels like I know it's a good game and I'm not trying to insult it. But it just feels like Xbox gamers were settling for less than they deserved, and it bummed me out. But now looking at the bigger picture, I was in the wrong for that. And I'm, I understand why people like it, even though it's not my kind of game. And I know that I, like, I'll like i say that a lot with stuff. You'll say that with a lot of stuff. So a lot of people will, will make that comment like, oh, I wasn't interested, but I'm glad other people were. And it sounds disingenuous. But no, I mean... I mean, the, the one thing I like about Xbox uh, with uh, Phil Spencer's leadership is just how... Uh, the the sheer diverse. amount of variety there is yeah it's very diverse with its offerings and i love that you know as long as i have something that can speak to me which i've gotten and i'm looks like i'm going to be getting uh it makes me all the more happier to see this stuff for the people that have more time to play games or that you know this applies to more um it's kind of scratches their itch tickles their fancy so uh you know ultimately i'm happy i'm, I'm happy it's there i'm happy it did well and yeah looking back in full what a great kickoff for Xbox and what would well, be a comeback year. To add to what you said, Josh, and we'll revisit this once we get to Redfall, but like to paint this picture of what Josh is saying, you had – and I know there's people in our community that, that don't really follow – they either don't or they didn't until this year follow the game news that closely. But so, you know, people were kind of surprised when me and Josh were so pissed off at the time Redfall came out. Well – this is how it looked. You had the entire year of 2022 where Microsoft seemingly did nothing. You know, Starfield was going to come out. That got delayed. No games from Microsoft came out in 2022. I guess it was Pentiment, but, like, let's be real here. Like, Sony was dropping God of War Ragnarok. You know, Elden Ring was a third-party game. 
There was nothing from Microsoft in 2022. Then 2023 starts. This is supposed to be Microsoft's year. And we get Hi-Fi Rush, which is cool, but it's like a stealth drop, almost indie-feeling type game, even though it's not an indie game. So me and Josh are like, okay, all right, fine. Redfall is the first big game. We get to Redfall, the game is ass, right? They just completely dropped the ball on it. And then Microsoft, it seems that they're going to lose Activision Blizzard entirely. Looks like that's over. And then we're at this point where we're like, me and Josh were just freaking frustrated because we're like, man, a year of nothing. And then we get this little game, Hi-Fi Rush, and then Redfall, which was supposed to be like the first AAA game after their new, the new era of acquisitions. It sucks. So then we're, we're just like, we're tired of this shit, Microsoft. Like, what's Starfield going to be like? You know, what's coming? Are we going to actually get any new games coming soon? I mean, it was just so frustrating. But we'll get to that more when we actually get to Redfall. But yeah, Josh, well, I think we can move on from that once you say what you want to say. Sure. Well, you have great points. I think we live in a reactionary time with social media, and we're all guilty of it. Uh, as much as we try to uh, not be, it still happens. And uh, like you said, when, it felt like when we got to like the middle of the year and Renfall came out, it's like, oh my gosh. It's like, you know, you don't really have... I, I, again, I know that games like the, the Hi-Fi Rush, games like Redfall, were, you know, they had their fans... But for you and I, who wanted more, you know, these games, best way I can put it for you guys listening, for Brian and I, these games felt like appetizers. And we were tired of waiting for a main course meal from Xbox. And it was like halfway into the year. And it's like, oh, man, and they would end up turning it around. But with Hi-Fi Rush to wrap it up, uh, especially on that point, looking back on it and seeing where this is the the road to uh, redemption kind of came back for Xbox. It started with Hi-Fi Rush. It is really cool to see him get that W, to get that shadow drop. I mean, a great way to kick off with a shadow drop in the beginning of the year. And for this to uh, get a lot of people happy. And when I have a good main course meal that I can enjoy, I'm going to enjoy the appetizers all the more because the appetizers help me look forward to the main course. And, uh, you know, something like this makes me happy that people got to have their appetizers. You know what I mean? They got them fried pickles, the chicken fingers, whatever, you know, or I don't know, is chicken fingers a main course meal for you, Brian? Uh, all the time. I mean, more all days, more days of the week than not. Chicken okay. Fingers are my well, maybe pickles. not chicken fingers, but fried pickles. Uh, um, yeah. <laughs> but you know what I mean, um, right? It's an appetizer. Yeah. yeah you know, I'm about and, to and dismiss the cra- it. The crazy thing is, you know, it's a great appetizer. By the end, by the end of January, 2023, um, Xbox has a far bigger game that people are talking about than Sony does. Forspoken just fall, fell off the map. Hi-Fi Rush, like I said, it, it was in the conversation all year, so it was this a good was start. A, this was a strange year of. Xbox looking pretty good, and Sony's starting to look kind of questionable. Not to say they didn't do anything And that good. kind of maintained through the year, actually. Yeah. Because we didn't know we were going to get a pretty bad showcase from Sony later in the year. Yeah. But yeah, we can move on. Uh, Hi-Fi Rush looks like an awesome game, even though it's not of our interest, but it obviously appealed to a lot of people and uh, ended up proving to be a, a great start to the year for you know what would be a good year for Xbox, finally. So I'm very happy this came out and turned out well and was a success for Tango. Yeah. Um, the next game, Josh, I'm sure your Dead Space Prize, what you have up next. Sure. I'm guessing. Yeah. Um, I did buy this and play this day one with my wife. Um, I played the original Dead Space uh, back in the day. Great game. And I would say this – I was kind of surprised. This is Motive Studios remaking the original, and I wasn't sure they were going to be able to pull it off, but – I would say this Dead Space remake that released this year is one of two games I would say are the best remakes ever made because basically what this Dead Space this game aimed to do was just recreate 
the exact same experience of the original Dead Space with just little tweaks to make it better. Like for instance, this is such a re- this is such a faithful remake that I would actually say there is no reason to play the 2008 one. Like for instance, in the original Dead Space, you're like you're on this ship and you're fighting aliens and you're traversing through the ship. Well, in the original game, you would go through the ship like it was levels. Well, for this Dead Space remake, it's the exact same like ship and the exact same rooms, but they just made since we we live in modern times with better technology, the entire ship can be traversed as one big level so you can backtrack and and there's It's more seamless. More seamless and like they really like just like um what's the word I'm looking for smoothed out the rough edges. So when I say this is one of the t- two best remakes I've ever made, um, I'm saying the reason I'm saying that is because like if you want a game, if you want a remake that is like just like playing the original with almost no differences but done better, that's what this Dead Space was. The other remake I'm talking about is actually Resident Evil 4, which comes later in this list. Because um, Resident Evil 4, it was a remake also, hmm. but Resident Evil 4 remake was like, hey, what if we made this game again but did it differently? Where Brian, Dead Space what would... Sorry, that? go ahead, finish. I'm sorry. Just to say, where Dead Space was like, what if we remade this game again and didn't change anything? Like, we just modernized it but left it alone. Where Resident Evil 4 was like, let's actually change it. So it's like, if you want a remake that just updates everything and makes it better, Dead Space. If you want a remake that, like, gives you a new version of it or a new take, Resident Evil 4. But what were you going to say, Josh? For toots and chuckles, what would you say are the top five remakes ever made? Just based off your own experience, your own, mm. you know, window into the industry over time. Well, it's you said top five. That's a, you know. It's, it's a tall of, order, dude. I mean, Dead Dead Space and Resident Evil 4 that both came out this year are up there. Mm -hmm. Um, You don't have to make it in a particular order, too. I don't actually... (laughs) You know, people are going to be like, Brian, you devilish dog. But I'm like, I don't actually count remake, uh, uh, Final Fantasy VII remake, because I don't don't see it as a remake. So I always exclude that one. Um, What else has there been, Josh? I know there's been other things, but like, okay, Crash Team Racing, that's a remake. (laughs) I'll put I laugh, that one up but there. not because of the the game itself. But I'm, it's it, that's a very uh, big Brian choice. So uh, like Demon that. Soul, Demon Souls uh, for the PS5. That's that might be the number. Yeah, there we go. I'm gonna go Demon Souls for the PS5. Okay. Shadow of the Colossus for PS4. Dead Space, Resident Evil 4, and Crash Team Racing. Those are my top five remakes. Okay. Okay. Um, those are pretty good. And, and for those, some of you out there are probably going, "What about like Halo? Those weren't remakes; they were remasters." So can't count those yeah there's a distinction there yeah. there's a distinction there which i never used to think about years ago but yeah. you know with dead space man uh i played i've only ever played a demo back when it came out on the 360 and i really miss that era man i really miss yeah. game demos on there oh it was so, such a fun time for for xbox i'm sure it was for playstation 3 as well but i didn't have one but yeah i've not been too uh savvy to this game and uh everything you told me is pretty cool wasn't there something you said earlier in the year about there wasn't there some outside area that was changed up or tweaked to be improved um yeah one of the biggest complaints of the original was there's this section where you like sit and sit in like a I don't know what you call it. It's kind of like the thing that is on Han's ship in the Millennium Falcon, like the the thing they sit at to shoot the gun from inside the ship. Mm. They have one of those. There's a section in the original Dead Space where you get in one of those, and you have to, like, shoot asteroids out of the air before they come at you. And mechanically, it's not fun at all, and it's very easy to screw up and lose. So Mm. for this version, they have you go out in zero gravity and, like, 
in as as your character go through space and destroy the asteroids yourself yourself rather than a turret section. So How it's the same thing, just better. I didn't hear a single person prefer the original. I mean, it was probably the most hated part of the of the original. So okay, like I said, like. Most of the game is exactly as you remember it, but like they're just like, oh, this is going to be seamless instead of loading. Oh, this is going to be you can go out and destroy the asteroids instead of this turret. Um, and then there was like little like I don't want to say side quests as much, but almost kind of like little side missions where like, hey, since we made this seamless, unlike the original, now you can if you want you can go back to this room and there'll be a, a monster that wasn't there before, and then like a new treasure item or something like that. Oh, so. that's kind of cool. Yeah. It reminds me of Gears 5 a bit. I'm sure it's differently implemented, but that just sounds kind of cool. A little yeah. off the beaten path or a little retreading, but there's a little yeah. you know, special weapon you can get or something to that effect. But okay. Yeah, I think it's probably hard for this game to show up at the... I mean, I think it did show up. Yeah, it showed up for... An, it was a nominee for Best Audio Design, I believe, which law it lost to Hi-Fi Rush. Um, okay. But that's really the only place it showed up. And I, I think the reason that is is because this this Dead Space is so... It's just such a wonderful reintroduction of the same game from 2008. It's kind of hard. It's probably hard to put it up for Game game Awards. It's, like, it's the same game, you know? Mm-hmm. It's kind of like Demon's Souls, you know? It was the same game that was on the PlayStation 3. It's just looks better and plays better. It's looking at the OG version. It's like, I'm you, but better. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's cool, though. I mean, you know, I... I know this trilogy has its fans, and I know the each I think sequel got a little more controversial in terms of some of the changes it made. But I've always known this to have a lot of fans, and you know EA doesn't always have the best reputation. And you know it was I, I think they published it correct the original one Did they publish it um, or was it the sequels? EA, yeah, well EA owned the studio that made the original. Okay. Too. It was, it was so actually. Josh, so they got to look good by association. The studio that made Dead Space, you know what they made before? What's that? Lord of the Rings: Return of the King for game for the PS2 GameCube. Really? It was EA Redwood Shores. They made Return oh, of the King, then they went and made yeah, Dead Space. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then after Dead Space, they renamed themselves Visceral Games, and they did Dead Space two and three, and then uh, EA shut them down. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like EA, but yeah. Yep. Yeah, man, uh, this game looks awesome. I mean, I'm looking at the review. The lighting looks fantastic. I can see why this was up for best audio. You said, yep. Because I mean, look, it's hard to it's hard for a horror game to not nail the audio, especially if you're someone who's going to play with yeah. headphones. I mean, that's just going to add to the experience and really up the quality of your time with it, with the atmosphere and stuff. And yeah, I love the lighting in this. Just looking at it, and this is another game that I kind of had my eye on and flirted with, but. It was so early on in the year, and there was Hogwarts Legacy that I think I, I, I'm presuming we're going to cover next. That There's uh, actually was, one before it. Okay, that's fine. But uh, yeah, for me, that that was soon on the horizon. So I wasn't going to play something I wasn't going to be able to finish because I know myself and how long it takes me to beat these games. As Brian likes to tease me about it, but he's accurate. He's right. And uh, but this looks cool. I'm glad it really did well. You like to see a remake improve upon the original. That's really ultimately what you want. You want it to remind you of the good times you had and not change too much, but maybe just enough that needed it, where it needed it. And it sounds like this game achieved that. Yeah, it's not It's not like me to say you don't need the original anymore because I'm very much like a original matters kind of guy. But I, I don't see a single reason... To, the only reason I would tell anyone to play the original Dead Space is if they they, be, they were such a fan of Dead Space that they wanted to like 
for like educational value. They wanted to go see what the original was like, like a first draft, but mm-hmm. everything about this one's better. Um, the next game, Josh, that I was going to mention, we can just go over quickly, is actually Metroid Prime Remastered. They released for the Switch. Oh, that's a big one for you. I mean, still. I mean, it's well, still, it's yeah, actually so. it's actually not a big one for me, Josh, because I don't enjoy playing these games. I bought well, it though. Um, you know, I'll go fuck myself. That's fine. <laughs> um, but uh, this was a game people had asked for for a long time. Uh, Metroid Prime is a beloved trilogy. I think they're all in the '90s on Metacritic, mm. um, and Nintendo just stealth dropped this one too. And amidst their like little direct or whatever, it was dropped um, digitally Another only. Stealth drop, huh? Yep, it was dropped digital only with the physical copies coming like a month or so later. Maybe it was two months later, I can't remember. And um, interesting, we mentioned the whole remaster remake thing. This game was actually brought up all year as people questioning whether it should have been called a remake or not. Um, I did play the original and this new one, but I don't feel like I am aware enough to comment fully, but like... The level in which this remaster was done with the, the, the controls were changed up, the the aiming, the, the graphics, the I mean, it, it had such a heavy overhaul that many thought that this should have been called a remake. I mean, at the end of the day, we're going to go with remaster because that's what they called it, and I think that's essentially what it is, but it was a very good remake. Basically, everyone was so happy with this. This was like a 10 out of 10 uh, release of Metroid Prime. So what's up? Is, the, is the Metroid Prime Seamus? Sa- Sam Samus, yeah, Samus. Samus, yeah. yeah. What's up with the big giant testicles she's got on her shoulders? Um, I don't know. I think they're massive, she, man. She don't have them when she comes out of the suit, so it's top heavy. Yeah. I was like, not weighing her down. I thought you were going to say that that was Seamus Blackley inside there. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. I like Seamus. It's but the no. same game. But okay. it, just, it, it was a definitely a, a big release. I had year. a brief moment where I flirted with this one, too. I'll probably say that a lot this episode. But, yeah, I was just because I was starting to get into my Switch again. And you guys were talking about this in the Discord. And I was like, well, I never played one before. And it would be nice to kind of broaden my horizon with Nintendo a bit. So, But, again, Hogwarts Legacy on the horizon and just other games I would, that was something I was much more interested in. And I thought, well... Maybe I'll play this, and with a lot of those games, maybe's turn into never. Unfortunately, <laughs> I don't I, know if I'll ever play this one, but that's not a diss on it. Yeah. It's just knowing me. Where are we going? I don't start? know if you'd be able to get into it, Josh. I can't get into it. It's it's the most it's the most un FPS FPS of all time to me. Like you know how like when you play like let's say if I say Josh, what's your favorite first person shooter? Maybe you'd say like Halo or something. Mm-hmm. You're not going to say Fallout Three, right? Because like Fallout doesn't feel like a first person shooter, even though it is technically from a first person shooting perspective. Yeah. That's how Metroid Prime is. Like you don't you don't play it like you play like Doom or Halo. You play it like a I don't know, it's like an adventure kind of puzzle game. So okay. I couldn't get into it. But Josh, take us into Hogwarts Legacy, man. This was uh this was probably this would be the biggest game once it came out. This and, and honestly we just found out in the last week that even now at the end of the year, the most Googled game of the entire year was Hogwarts Legacy over Baldur's Gate, over Starfield, over any other game, or over Zelda. This was the most searched game on uh, Google. So, uh, really? Josh, yeah, tell us about Hog- Hog- That's Hogwarts That's interesting. Legacy. That's a cool yeah. statistic, though. I like that. Yeah. This game was very exciting for so many people because you had a history of Harry Potter games that always seemed just on the cusp of scratching the itch that everyone wanted, which was a fully realized version of being a student at Hogwarts 
and traversing the school and the surrounding lands and just being a, being Harry Potter in essence. And that's what this game delivered on. It was just the power fantasy of being a wizard in the wizarding world. And it ended up turning out to be really well. And I won't speak on the controversy. I was a little disappointed. Like some of it, I understand some of it uh, disappoints me because I, I know that studio put a lot of work into this game for so long. And speaking to that, this game leaked years ago before it came out, and there was gameplay footage you could see, but no one fully understood at the time. You and I talked about it with Actman. We did, didn't we? Wow, yep. man. That's a Hope podcast. he's doing well, dude. Still, uh, I'll check out his content every so I'd say often. he's doing well because when we talked to him, he had 1 million subscribers, and now he has 1.8 million. Nice, man. He's almost he's, he's about to hit that, too. Yep. But, yeah, this game, um, when it leaked, no one really had a full idea of what it was, but there was just a... Uh, timid, uh, a bit, a hope, a hopeful excitement about what this could be. Could it be what we want? But you don't want to get your hopes up. I think there was the Goblet of Fire adaptation game that let you go around the school a bit and explore and stuff. But it, it wasn't quite the same because you're you're bound by the limitations of the the plot beats in the movies, and you, you can go a little bit around that, right? That which is what a lot of movie license games would do sometimes. They kind of go around the edges. Like the Spider-Man games, they'd like they'd sprinkle in some characters from the comics and kind of interweave them into the the story of the the movies. But you always kind of had to stay by that um, linearity, if you will. So then uh, I think as you got to the end of the Harry Potter movie games, they just got really really bad. I think they were all starting to be made by different studios. The only one I think I ever played was the original on the P- PS One that had that Hagrid face, which is iconic. You know, I love those games. <laughs> yeah, so good. I really love that first one. But I played, I, I played Sorcerer's Stone and Chamber Secrets on PS One. How was Chamber? Oh, dude, it was so. It was. It was. It was That's awesome. your favorite I, Harry yeah. Potter movie, is it? Yeah, that'd be my. That'd be my favorite game too. You know what the crazy? You remember me telling? I, I think I told the story once on the podcast a long time ago, years ago. I'll make it really short again, so you can Take get back time. on the topic. Take your time. But um, I wanted the Chamber of Secrets game for PS One so bad. I saved up my money. It was twenty. I, I went online to the Video Games Etc. website and it said it was twenty five dollars for the for the Chamber of Secrets. You remember the story, Josh? Yeah, I do. But tell it again. It said, I want to yeah. hear it. It said it was twenty five dollars for the Chamber of Secrets game for PS One. Well, I went in to the had my parents take me to the store after I saved up money, and we go to get the game off the shelf, and it says thirty five dollars, and I only had twenty five, and I was upset because I couldn't buy it, and, and my parents, you know, they said, hey, you you the money you have is what you have, so. Mm-hmm. Because they were already going to pay the tax. Like, growing up, I didn't believe tax, like, was a real thing. I was just like, oh, my parents pay that. I don't pay tax. <laughs> um, so I ended up buying a different game. Well, then months went by, and I started saving up money again, and I checked the website, and it said $25 for Chamber of Secrets. And I was like, man, it says $25, but it was 35 I want this game. Mm-hmm. So the second time my parents took me, I printed off a copy of the website where it said Harry Potter for PS1. $25. And and this was a bigger deal then because like, you know, not everybody had a printer and we had a printer finally with ink and everything. I was like, I'm going to print out this page and take it in. We went into video games, et cetera. And sure enough, it was $35 on the shelf again. So I went up to the desk and I said, I slapped as a kid, I slapped my paper down. I'm like, this says 25 on your website. Why is it 35 here? And he's like, huh, that is weird. Let me check. And he opens up the glass and there's like 10 copies of Chamber of Secrets. And the copy that's in front says 35 and the nine copies behind it say 25 it was mislabeled so no one had bought the first mm-hmm. copy because of it was it had the wrong price tag on it so because of me printing off the article i was able to get the game for the price i wanted i was so excited i played that game like crazy 
Yeah, so Chamber of Secrets, that was the closest we got to an awesome Harry Potter experience to Hogwarts Legacy. So. That's interesting because I think <laughs> the only game I played, like I said, was the um, Philosopher's Stone. And I uh, that's I think that's my favorite movie. I've said before it's Prisoner of Azkaban, but that first experience just hit like nothing other. Got you a whole, you know, it was the barrier. Dude, to the, the Home Alone game. director knows how to do it. Dude, I love Chris Columbus. The first I, two. I've started to see so much more stuff he's done, and I'm like, man, I see why. I see why I've always liked this guy's movies without realizing it's him. But you're right. Yeah, Hogwarts Legacy turned out to be a really great experience for me. I had the downside of getting my back injury just days after the game released, so it really put me out of uh, commission for a long time. But middle of the year, I picked this back up and started playing it. And, you know, I think I was just surprised, like a lot of other people, how much it really felt like the perfect amalgamation of the power fantasy people. One of them said before, you have what is essentially, you know, your own Harry Potter like protagonist that is, you know, telling a story set long before the events of the Harry Potter films, which I think in canon are set in the nine, late 90s. Whereas this is like, I think, late 1800s, I want to say. I could be wrong on that. Yep. But. Yeah, you have this, you know, you make your own character and you have a mentor character and right away as you're traveling to Hogwarts, things are amiss and you're trying to piece it together with your mentor while also learning the lay of the land with the school, going to classes, making friends, making enemies and, you know, traversing outside of Hogwarts and uh, starting to put the pieces together of this overarching story with this uh, goblin antagonist. And I just had a very good time with this. I thought the score especially really nailed the feel. And that's something they could have missed and missed hard. You know, I've had a lot of experiences where, you know, one series, whether it's movies or games, has a composer. And then subsequent sequels get a different one. And it doesn't quite hit the same way because the tone is off. And for me personally, you know, I felt that with Halo 4 where it just it didn't have that Marty feel. And it took a long time for me to kind of differentiate why that was an issue for me in terms of Halo 4. And I think, you know, I have no shame in saying that uh, if Halo 4 had had Marty compose, just Marty and Michael, to be fair, that I would have probably liked the game overall more because the music is so much what I remember from movies and video games. And I often listen to scores from, you know, movies and games while I'm at work and stuff when I'm not playing these things to kind of remind me of those times. It, it they, they really uh, stroke my nostalgia. So this one really landed, even though it had a different composer, you know, John Williams did the first three films. And then I think they went to different composers in the Harry Potter franchise and fantastic beasts and whatnot. But this really hit the hit the nail on the head with it. And Hogwarts itself was so much fun to explore. I mean, you had, you know, the ghosts in there that you would briefly see in the movies, but were more in the books. You know, you were solving puzzles to, you know, unlock, you know, Hogwarts secrets. Um, you know, you were constantly casting Revelio, 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 because it was the thing that would kind of send out a pulse that would help identify where nearby, you know, chests and stuff were that you could interact with. And that was almost a, like a an Arkham, Arkham vision, detective vision. Yeah. Yeah. And kind of, I think there was one in like Dragon Age Inquisition. It kind of had its own like pulse mode or whatever you want to call that. But, uh, it was really fun. You know, you eventually leveled up, you know, you'd get different spells, you'd be able to upgrade them create potions you would get sort of this little like hub that kind of acted as your little like base of operations where you could again craft new potions you could kind of customize it you would there there was one weird thing the game did though where you would like you would kind of like rescue animals 
and kind of put them in this, like you'd have like a bestiary and kind of put them in this like special land where they could all be safe and everything. It was kind of your own like fantastical, you know, fantastic beast like zoo. If for anyone who's seen the first yeah. movie, he's got this like bag that he basically puts them into. And then he goes and puts them in this like secret land where they're all safe. But what was weird is when you do it in the game, more often than not, the the beasts you're trying to rescue are running away from you. They're not like they'll come, they might come towards you, but a lot of times if you're wanting to complete like challenges and quests for the, some of those, they're running away from you, and it feels like you're kidnapping them. It's terrible, but yep. the game was really fun. I think you know to its faults, the gameplay did get easily repetitious, but for the first outing, in summary, I thought this game really nailed it. The story was just a bit weak because it feels very safe very on the nose, but I think that is exactly what the first experience in this really needed to be. Because if you do things too different for the first outing, it sort of feels like you're trying to do, you know, it it feels like you're almost trying to be combative. You're trying to honor what's, what's there and what people want, but then you're also trying to, uh, differentiate yourself. And and this felt like a love letter to Harry Potter fans and in the wizarding world. And I loved it for that, but I was going to say, Brian, I think just for the fun of it, that, for each game we played, we should give our overall rating to out of 10. And what the, For this one, I would give, for me, it was an 8 out of 10. Just in terms of fun factor, not going objective. But what would you say for you Dead Space and Metroid Prime were? Um, well, we'll go ahead and... Because I, I think we should probably do ones that we really played. And I, I don't think I played Metroid Prime okay. enough to give that one. So Dead Space... Um, are you, we want like personal or more subject or more objective? Let's just do know. fun factor. It's a year in review, so we're just focusing on this. You know, the fun enjoyment. factor. Fun yeah. factor for Dead Space. I mean, it was it was a ten out of ten quality remake, but for fun factor, it was like an eight for me. An eight. You know, I'm, okay. I'm not a, I'm not a diehard Dead Space fan. Yeah. Okay. But yeah, uh, you watched Erica play Hogwarts Legacy, correct? Yeah, I mean that's to say I, I got a lot of like hands on or you know well I guess hands on experience. experience through Erica. Yeah, um, she loved this game, and that's the thing I'm noticing about people who like Hogwarts Legacy is a lot of time. A lot of people who enjoyed this game really, really enjoyed this game. Like this game was a special offering for them, and that was the case with my wife. She she put over 80 hours into it, um, 100 percented it, except she doesn't have the trophy because one quest won't finish because of a bug, which bugs her. Um, Oof, yeah, but uh, yeah. She she loved the game. I saw her like make her like room of requirement. I saw her like capture her fantastic beasts, and she loved this game. And she plans to replay it. And um, yeah, it, it seems odd to me that Hogwarts Legacy didn't show up at the Game Awards because I don't know there is the like kind of political societal like um, stuff baggage around it. But this was a really well done game. Um, it wasn't one that particularly appealed to my interests. Mm-hmm. Um, but it really was a, a Harry Potter dream game. If I could get this same studio to make uh, Lord of the Rings game this faithfully, I would be in love, and no I could kidding. see it being my no favorite kidding, game of the year. So, so when people, yeah, so when people come to the end of this year and they're upset that Hogwarts Legacy didn't get noticed at all, I get it. I mean, this was a AAA game done really well by people who understand the material. So it's kind of sad that it didn't get more um, notice. But hey, sales and Google search wise. I don't think they're upset at all. I I wouldn't be surprised. I think, yeah, I don't know. I, I think I've heard rumors that it, I mean, I've heard a lot of a lot of conversation about how much it sold. I guess I don't know any facts right now, but I'm pretty sure this sold better than most games that came out this year. That's what I've heard. 
That's what I've heard. Yeah, I mean, it I, also launched later on like old platforms and on um, uh, the Switch even. Right. Yeah, that got some subsequent like relaunches, refreshes. But yeah, I think my favorite thing about this was the music, just how much that made me feel like I was really there. Because the aesthetics and everything were there. They were sound. I mean, I feel like everything really nailed that feeling. But it was the music that really put me in that place specifically. And I loved it for that. And Again, I, I said that it was safe. And I, I think a lot more games should have that as an outing when you're trying to sort of adapt something or be the, the power fantasy of, of something that people love so much. Because once you kind of play it safe and you nail that first impression... You know, then you can, I think, afford to take chances and, and tell different stories. And and I, I say that with this, and I'll try to summarize it so we can get moving on. But, you know, with something like this, the story itself is very close to what Harry Potter goes through in terms of just sort of being like a chosen one, if you will, and uh, having everyone kind of latch onto you and, and stuff just kind of working out, you know, in your favor. It kind of did that. So it kind of had a similar story, although it's different, but it played it safe in that regard. But I'm glad it did because that's exactly what people wanted. People wanted to feel like Harry Potter, but this let you be your own Harry Potter. And that's very cool. But now that they've done that and they've laid the groundwork, now I feel like they can take chances and maybe tell a different kind of story or a darker story or really just go you know balls to the wall with a, the, a plot that uh, they wouldn't have normally done because now they've done the the groundwork. They've laid that, you know, and it kind of reminds me of when um, Gears 4 came out and, you know, it was the the first by a new studio that was an epic. And I feel like that game is very safe. Like, the you know, it flows through the axe. It's not open world like Gears 5 was. They kind of, even though it's not received as well with a lot of people, it still has a, a lot of similar DNA to the original trilogy. And then it was Gears 5 where they looked to go different and try to change it up and do something different. And again, people's going to feel differently about that stuff. But I always think with those sorts of things, it's good to play it safe first and then take those chances. Because it's good to take the chances. But if you do that at first, it's just a bit too jarring. So I really loved the approach that they took to this game. And yeah, 8 out of 10 for me. It's one of my favorites. Not that I played a lot this year, but oh man, do I love it. Yeah, oh, well said, Josh. I, I think uh, I think this was a big win for people, even if it didn't get um, its its uh, spotlight at the end of the year. But I think the fact that it is the most Googled game this year and that, once again, just like Hi-Fi Rush, people are still talking about Hogwarts Legacy when that game, you know, it feels like that game came out a year ago. I mean, it came out like 10 months ago, so it's not that far off. Mm-hmm. Um, very cool. But, um, yeah, Josh, do you want to move through a couple of these? I'll, I'll mention a little quicker. Um, I mean... We got. I still got over an hour left of recording time, but we're only in February, so I'm like, oh man, you know. All right. Um, but um, man, go for it, man. Do it. We'll move on to the next one, which I thought we could just shout out. I thought we could just shout out like a dragon, Ishin. Okay. Because um, there's a lot of fans of that and the Yakuza series. For those of you that don't know, like a dragon and Yakuza, they're the same series. It's Yakuza's kind of what got popular in in the North America as a title, but really Like a Dragon is the main title. But heard a lot of people talk about Like a Dragon Ishin this year, and I know that series is getting more popular. I haven't played it. I don't know if I ever will play that series, but um, yeah, I just thought it'd be worth mentioning. That was another good release this year. You got anything to say, Josh? Yeah, I think Hawes was pretty interested in this game, and I, I can't remember his thoughts on it, but or whether or not he played it, but I know he was pretty excited. He, he really enjoys these games, and I think the first episode High Potion ever did was on Yakuza 0. Which uh, which is a great game, so it's it's in that series. But yeah, I was I feel like I you know it's just a matter of time before I really get into the series. Well, I play every game and or this one in particular. I don't know, but I played like maybe 
two hours of Yakuza, Yakuza Zero. I'm always mispronouncing that, but uh, I really liked it. I really liked it. But it's a big game, and you know, kind of like we talked behind the scenes when I said, Brian, are you going to play Baldur's Gate three soon now that it's on Xbox? You said, Well, I kind of got RPG fatigue, so I kind of want to take a break as I because I'm you're pushing through the Final Fantasies on your way to rebirth. You're on the road to rebirth, basically. But uh, I don't. Uh, this was a game I kind of had to put aside Yakuza Zero and the series, knowing how much filler there is although i would say it's very good filler it's very fun filler um i kind of want to wait until i i really have that uh energy in the tank you know but yeah looks awesome looks awesome yeah Uh, another one we'll touch on real quick josh um horizon call of the mountain this was the horizon you know zero dawn series for the playstation um horizon call of the mountain was a vr exclusive ps5 game came out this year and um I only heard rough things about it. I didn't hear anyone really very impressed with it, despite really? it using a popular series. Um, yeah, so it was what? another exclusive for PlayStation, just not one. That seemed to, what's that? What was the downsides to it? Why, why didn't people like it? To be honest, Josh, I never looked into it that much. I just <laughs> talk about it. It wasn't really good. Yeah. Hey, that's that's a good answer. I, mean, I, I should have I can't know everything about every game, Josh. You know. I don't know, Brian. I wouldn't put it past you, man. I'm. I'm I would I would bet on you every time. So, but yeah, I'm looking did at gameplay. This I, not for me. Did you look it up? Did it get good scores? I mean, I don't. Uh, no, I, well, I can't tell. Let me see if I can go to this. What's the verdict? Did they show a score? Okay, they gave it a seven. It looks like on IGN. But uh, okay, well, yeah. I mean, you know, the IGN I'd be curious, seven. I'd be curious to hear what our boy Sparky's thought of this. If he played it, or maybe just you know vicariously looking yeah. at it, what he thought. But yeah, I mean, VR games just aren't for me. But uh, you know, Horizon's got its fans, and hey, it's cool that they gave a. VR fans, a VR experience of this exclusive for them. That's very cool. Yeah. I mean, it was I mean, me I've heard it mentioned throughout the year just because, yeah, because it was exclusive, because it was VR. I mean, they did get mentioned through the year. And I, you know, I never was really particularly interested, but I thought since they were putting the Horizon um, IP on it, maybe it would be um, something to really highlight the VR. But I love I seeing this person in like VR, like first person trying to fire an arrow, and you see the arrow shivering. Like that person's got extreme anxiety, um, you know, or they, or it's like Michael J. Fox the behind old, the hands, you know, and he's like, it's like the Wii in 2006. I love Michael J. Fox. The Wii remote. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He makes you feel like you can make fun of that stuff because he makes fun of it constantly. Yeah, Michael J. I know. I love Michael. He had a documentary about him, yeah. a biopic, basically. Or not biopic, a documentary uh-huh. in any way. It was great this year. But yeah, Call the Mountain, not for me, but I'm sure it has its fans. Very cool. I, I love I love how Josh is like, you know, oh, yeah, I heard it might be a good game, but I miss me with that shit. That's how you go. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I want to be polite. I, I know think every the next one of these game, games has their fans. Yeah. You guys will have to excuse us too. Every now and then we have technical difficulties, and I don't I don't know if it's the same for Josh, but on my side, uh, Josh's lips are always like six seconds away from his words, so it's hard for me to read when Josh is going to quit talking or start talking. Um, Does happen talk, sometimes. But I think the next game, unless yeah, just there, yeah, just there. Guys, <laughs> hey. no, usually, usually, yeah. Usually we don't even tell you, but I'm telling you right now it's happened. So. <laughs> hey, I have um, to shout out Steve again at work because it, you just made me think of this. He, I kind of butchered. I was mentioning him last week about something he said, and you you will really love this. This will make you feel really good. But okay. he, I butchered that story I was telling, and what happened was there was one night Steve was wanting to listen 
to people talk about Baldur's Gate 3. And he was looking for podcasts that had episodes talking about that. He found a Baldur's Gate like podcast and had went through all the episodes of that. So he's fishing elsewhere to see what else is out there, right? And we had done our one episode and stuff, and he had checked that out. But what else is out there? Well, he found, I think it was a Game Informer episode. And they were, you know, that was the big talking point. And I think it was like a little over an hour or something like that. Well, he got like 40 minutes in, and they still hadn't talked about it. And I told him, I said, you know, there's times I've listened. I've, I tried to do that before back in the day where I wanted to hear people talk about a specific game. Like I would try to go do that for Halo back before we started Sacred Icon. And, you know, if you're just a generalized podcast, sometimes sometimes they meander and ramble way too much and they don't really get to the topics until way long into the episode. And by the time they do, they don't even talk about it much. And he was like, you know, he's like, yeah, it's kind of unlike those, you know, it's, you know, I, I much prefer those sacred icon guys. You know, they, they talk a little bit in the beginning and then they get right on point mm-hmm. and they talk about the subject matter and keep going. And I said, dude, I appreciate that so much. I will have to tell Brian, I have got to tell Brian about that sometime because he will appreciate that a lot. Cause uh, yeah, a lot of, a lot a of podcasts out there take a lot of general, they just ramble way too much. No, I, I noticed that like long before I ever thought about doing a podcast with Josh. Like I listen to pod, I go find a podcast, and it's like, oh, they're going to talk about Halo Four, sweet. And then I realize that I have to listen to forty minutes of conversation before the Halo Four talk is done. And then like they start at the forty minute mark, and then they're done at the sixty minute mark. And I'm like, wait a minute, I just listened to an hour, and I only got twenty minutes of them talking about the game I wanted. Yeah. So yeah, I feel that entirely. Um, Josh, Steve's unless you uh, see something else, the next big game is Resident Evil Four remake. Um, okay. In March, is that where you're at too? Uh, let's see what yeah, day. What day anything. did it come out? Twenty fourth of March. Ooh man, I'm scrolling through. I mean, there's a couple ones I could have mentioned offhand, but no, I don't need WWE 2K23. I'll say I bought it, played about two hours, and then I I moved on with my life. So not a diss on that Was game. Sixty bucks as a gamer. Yep, uh, I spent a hundred. I spent a hundred on that Ultimate Edition. Woo! Yeah, big Ooh, waste. But again, not to the detriment of the game's quality. I do love wrestling. I, I get such a nostalgic kick every so often. I love that there's this podcast called Something to Wrestle With I've listened to for years, and they just break down certain aspects of wrestling from back in its heyday, spe- specifically in the WWE, because one of the guys is a guy that worked there behind the scenes. And their episodes approach were the inspiration for how I've done the retrospectives in the past, namely the Halo 4 retrospective and stuff. But yeah, I, I get nostalgic kicks for wrestling every so often. And uh, I bought that game because I was high on that kick. But just as that game came out, I was kind of on the out with that, moving into other stuff I was interested in. Also still going really heavy through my back injury stuff. But yeah, I, I think the game turned out pretty well. But yeah, let's talk more about something that we one of us actually played, and that's Resident Evil 4. You were very excited for this one. Um, Resident Evil, yeah. Yeah, Resident Evil 4, I mean, most people should know by now. It's it's often cited as one of the greatest games of all time. I was a, a fan of the original. Um, this would be the first game this year that actually really got me hyped, really got me excited. Um, I, was, I was honestly just amazed by this remake because, like I said earlier in the episode, this wasn't just a remake where they tried to just do the original beat for beat. Mm-hmm. Uh, they took liberties here and there, but all the liberties seemed to make the game... I mean, either better or just as good in a different way. And one thing I love about Resident Evil 4 Remake, and this actually applies to Final Fantasy VII Remake as well, is I love when a remake can come out and it gives me a reason to play this version, but doesn't take away from the original. Like, I will always play the Final Fantasy VII Remakes, or Rebirth, whatever you want to call it, 
and the original Final Fantasy VII because they both offer distinctive experiences that you want to play them both. Like, and I that's how I feel both, baby. Yeah, and that's that's how uh, Resident Evil Four Remake is. It's uh, it follows the same plot structure, you know, same characters, you know, same you know enemies for the most part, stuff like that, same weapons. <laughs> but, I watched the review and he just capped an old what? woman in the back of her leg. <laughs> you got to sometimes. You got to sometimes, John. Um, but yeah, it's. I mean, it's got it's got different gameplay mechanics. It's got like stealth is incorporated. Like your knife can break in this game. The, the upgrades are different. There's new enemy types added. There's um, what's kind of interesting is they they made the plot or they made the the structure of the narrative smoother by cutting out a few things. Which you know, whenever you cut something, it's going to upset people. But what's really cool is later in the year they released a ten dollar DLC where you play as Ada Wong and she does the things that they cut out of Leon's story. So you essentially have everything that was in the original now, just restructured, done differently. Um, things that were like, you know, I know people, some people hate this word, and, and I get it. You know, some things that were problematic for this game in 2005 have now been corrected here. For instance, uh, you can look up Ashley's uh, pant, her skirt and see her panties in the original. That's not here. Um, they removed that. Um, at the end of the original Resident Evil um, at Resident Evil 4, Ashley said she wanted to basically have sex with you because you saved her. And this one, she's like, I think I can get you a job working for my dad, who's a president. Like, they got rid of that stuff. Um, Luis, uh, Luis commented on Ashley's bazookas, looking at her boobs in the original. They removed that line entirely. Like, he they called them bazookas. Things. And the thing is, like, yeah, he called them, like, or it was like oh bazookas or, like, some kind of weapon. I can't remember. <laughs> but, um... They took they took all that kind of problematic stuff out, but they replaced they made the characters actually a lot better because like, like actually in the original you got all them she did shoulders. <laughs> As, yeah, She's like, is that a nineteen eleven or a two twenty? But uh, yeah, they fixed a lot of that stuff, and then they really developed the characters deeper. Like Luis is a is a good character now in this game where he was more basic in the original. Ashley, she would just scream and whine in the original game. Now she's actually a character that feels like she can have some level of competence. Um, just this game, I mean, you know, we in the Game Awards episode, we talked about how, like, I mean, me more so than Josh, how like, I didn't really feel like a remake should be in the conversation for a game of the year. And I still feel that way. But I can understand why Resident Evil 4 Remake of all games made it into the the game of the year nominees because Resident Evil 4 remake it's its own standalone game that's different than the original and it's really freaking good like it is a game of the year nominee in that sense like it is a very good game and honestly it's surprising to say that if someone came along and said that it was better than the original I don't think it's a crazy statement you know like it's it's different enough and good enough to earn that. Was there trepidation going into this game in regards to I know like Resident Evil's two remake was received really well, and then three was a bit of the opposite. And I know the reception to this one has been very good, but was there any cautious optimism with this one, or were people just excited? Uh, I mean, yeah, people were pretty cautiously uh, like cautious about it because like if you screw up Resident Evil Four at all, like game over. You know, it's got to be perfect. And here's the thing: it's me and a lot of people were like, "Why are they remaking Resident Evil Four? Because if you look at the original Resident Evil Four with the HD upscales for modern consoles, it looks pretty good. Like it, it plays pretty good. Like it's obviously still an 18 year old game, but with in HD on modern consoles with modern controllers, it's 
it's a great experience. It doesn't feel too aged. So it was like, why are they doing a remake of this game? It doesn't need it. But once you play the remake, you're like, damn it, it's really good. And it's like, it's, it's a little such reluctance a, there, it's, huh? It's, I, yeah, I kind of I kind of hated it because I was like, man, like this game, Resident Evil Four was such a classic and so good. I don't need this. And then I play this one, and I'm like, well, for the rest of my life, I got to play both of them now because they're both they're both really like I can't drive that home enough. There's a reason to play the original and this one. They they play differently. And like like for instance, Josh, in the original Resident Evil Four, whenever you want to shoot someone, your character has to stop. You cannot move and shoot at the same time. Mm. But in the remake, you can move and shoot at the same time. Everything's a little more fast-paced in the remake, where the original is more arcadey feeling. Yeah, so it's there's a good reason to play both. Um, this game's amazing. Um, I'd probably I'd probably give it a nine out of ten. Uh, nine out of but, ten. Let me just man, jot I, that down. I could borderline see. I could see someone saying a ten for that. I, I really could. But okay, it is, great. Is there, and me and Eric could play it together. So that's. Did you guys switch off? How did you guys approach that? Uh, we did switch off, and then I played it. And as soon as we beat it, I played it again by myself. Like it's the only game I played twice this year. So, <laughs> did you look over at Erica with dead cold eyes and say, "Now the real playthrough begins"? <laughs> right. It's like now I'm gonna do it right. <laughs> <laughs> no, you would never do that. You would never do that. But uh, no, yeah, this game does look very cool, man. I'm watching the gameplay right now, and this is one I've always wanted to try out just because of how much I've I've heard about it. You but, like uh, it. Uh, yeah, I feel like I would too. Like this this genuinely looks awesome. And there was a part I saw a sequence of some kind where he's like traveling up a, uh, a castle of some kind. Does that sound right? Yeah, yeah, it looked very cool, man. But uh, is well, that's the original part of the reason that the? Go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Josh. Oh, um, well, we'll that's one of the play. reasons that the Look original this. is so loved. It's hard because you can't. I can't see when Josh's lips move properly, but like. The original had three distinct locations, which was, was part of the reason why it was such an amazing game. Is you start off, you're at a village, and then the second third of the game, you're in a castle, and then the final third, you're on an island. And they all have like a distinct kind of like setting and gameplay there. But anyways, what were you gonna say, Josh? Well, is the fir- is the original version like the most ported game of all time? I feel like I've seen that ported on every console, but yeah, I, might it's, be wrong I mean that. it's up there. It might be it might be beaten by Doom, but it's up the there. original. It's Doom. on everything. Okay. The original Doom, yeah. Okay, but yeah, you said a nine out of ten. People, for this one, people correct? have gotten the original Doom nine out of ten. Yeah, people have gotten the original Doom to run on a pregnancy test. What? <laughs> yeah, it's Ain't there. No Go look way. it up. It's real. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. I mean, the graphics don't look quite the same, but it's it's the same game. Yeah. You usually hear that joke reserved for Skyrim, but Resident Evil Four has entered the chat. Right. Yeah. That's the thing is like yeah, there's quite a few games that have been on more platforms than Skyrim, but yeah, it's Skyrim's working on it. Give it give it a few more decades, so. <laughs> um let's see here, Josh. Let's uh, I don't think we need to talk about it cuz neither of us have any experience. I know Dredge was a big indie game everyone talked about this year. It came out right after Resident Evil 4. That's there. There's two I wanted um, to quickly we'll touch on. That. I could skim through them within a minute. Okay, go touch okay, go ahead. Last of Us Part 1 came out on the 28th just a little bit. See, after. I didn't touch on that, Josh, yeah. because that's actually a 2022 release. Oh, but it came out on Windows. Okay. Hey, good for the... Thank you for the correction. MLB The Show 23... Well, I was going to say Last of Us Part 1 missed me with that because I'm not going to play that anytime soon. I like that that it's there and it exists, but... uh, just not gonna play that. For I did a long love time. it. I beat. The, oh, I, I yeah. beat that last year. Yeah, I'm glad to hear. I'm, I, I know it reviewed well, from what I understand. And I mean, I love the Last of Us games, but yeah, just not gonna play that anytime soon. MLB The Show 23. I didn't play it. I'm a pretty big fan of that series, but I, with a lot of sports games, you know, I kind of pick my my. Uh, I don't know. Just sometimes I want to play. I don't know what the fuck I'm trying to say. 
sometimes I want to play certain versions of, you know, the yearly releases. Other times I'll skip some for a while. And uh, I think the one I've been stuck on is MLB The Show 20. But they have this mode in there called Road of the Show. And it's just so much fun. It's, you know, you just get to focus on you and focus on your players' plays. Like when they, like basically if the ball's going to come to you, then you get a chance to play, but you can skip past all the rest of the fluff and, you know, it kind of helps sim through the games, get you through because baseball can be a very slow sport, but I happen to still fancy it a lot, but I didn't play that one. But anyway, we can move on to more important stuff. I just wanted to briefly touch on that. Yeah. Uh, not, Terra, Terra nil was another one we talked about was up for awards. It came out at the same time. So Terra nil dredge um, scrolling along here. That's it for March. I believe I thought it was funny. There's a game that came out from Sega the murder of Sonic the Hedgehog. Um, I don't know what that's about. I never heard of that one, but uh, you want to run that by me Sonic one more time, Ryan? What was that? On March thirty first, the murder of Sonic the Hedgehog by Sega. What? Yeah. It Why do they make it? The box game. art looks so cool. Yeah. Well, the player converses with various Sonic the Hedgehog game. characters to investigate Sonic's apparent murder on Amy Rose's birthday. What? What is this? They'll do anything with Sonic, I swear. What? A murder mystery. That's Sonic has <laughs> Wow. Sonic has no limits. No, they're that, hey, that's cool. Genre bending it. You gotta change it up when you've been in the been in the chamber that long. Yeah. Um Brian, like, on April had uh Yeah, let's I gotta keep it moving. <laughs> um the uh, in April we had uh, the indie game God of Rock, which was another nominee. I don't remember that game. Um, Minecraft Legends, you know, a lot of times that doesn't get mentioned in Xbox's releases for the year because it's Minecraft. But this was another well received game in the Minecraft universe um, by Microsoft that came out in April. Uh, neither Josh nor I played that. Uh, the Final Fantasy Pixel Remaster came out in April, um, which I plan to get eventually. I mean. The physical copies pretty much got sold out immediately, so you have to buy it digitally, which is fine. I usually buy games digitally, but I haven't got around to it yet because when I decide to plop 60 bucks down on that, like now I have six you know, RPGs that are 50-plus hours, and it's not like I'm ready to invest that time yet, so I'll buy it eventually. But those sold very well, and people like those a lot. Um, was David moving excited for that one? I, thought, I felt like it was that one that David was very interested in. Yeah, he picked it up. He picked it up day one, I believe. I don't know if Wesley picked it up day one. Yeah, I think Wesley did pick it up day one, but I don't think he actually finished any of them before other games came out for him. Did David take to Um, it? Did he like it? I I can't recall. Oh, I believe he loved it. He might have already played some of them on PC because it it had been on PC for a while. This Mm. was just the console versions. Mm. That's awesome, though. Um, Shout out to David. Moving a uh, two more games that Josh and I didn't particularly care about that were mentioned in the awards this year: uh, Advanced Wars One and Two Reboot Camp, uh, which was up for a, was a nominee, a turn-based game, and then we have Dead Island Two, which was up for um, I think it was action best action game. It was up for. Um, mm-hmm. I know many people memed this game for not being like award worthy, but I heard Dead Island Two went through some crazy developmental woes, like three different develop developers, wow. and ended up being a pretty decent game. So. Yeah. Okay. So there's cool. that. Um, moving along here, what else do we have for April? Josh, if you see one that uh, there's I there's one at the end. It. I'm just waiting to see okay. if you oh. find any before. Okay. You know what uh, that one Honkai is. Star Rail. You know that was that was the winner. Uh, best, I believe it was best indie this year. That's another big Hoyoverse game. They got a lot of conversation. Um, and then here we go. I'm gonna let Josh take it away. At the end of April, we had 
Star Wars, Je- Star Wars Jedi Survivor, which was probably probably the biggest. It's between this and Resident Evil Four for the biggest game to come out in the year yet. I would say this was probably bigger though, since Resident Evil Four was a remake. Um, I know Wesley loved this game. I know Josh liked it, but had problems. Um, Josh, take it away. What'd you think of Jedi Survivor? I felt like I was the only negative Nancy on this one, but I don't want to poo-poo on it or anything too much. I mean, it's a great game. I think it's a great follow-up to the original. I think I, you know, I happen to be a bigger fan of Fallen Order's approach, but uh, I think this is a great game. You know, it's it's a sequel. You know, you're still playing as Cal Kestis. You know, and you the way you started the game, I thought it was great. It had a great opening. A little strange, but um, you know, you're going to Coruscant, and he oversees the Jedi Temple. At one point, he kind of has this somber look, and I just thought, "Oh, that's the tone we're going for." Okay, okay, and you know, you kind of meet up with the crew that you previously had with you in the first game, and it kind of goes as you're meeting them. It kind of is re- you're kind of recapping, you know, a little bit of what happened in between the first two games, and there was a, a certain dynamic with the character of Marin that I felt like was very underdeveloped. And people really liked because you got what you wanted, you know, out of it. But uh, it just, I felt like a lot of that was kind of more told off screen that we didn't really see in terms of the substance. There was just a, you know, there was a Han and Leia type of thing going on, a romance angle. And, you know, a lot of that was more implied between the two games. And while I liked the uh, end result, I just feel like I didn't, you know, I like the substance. I like the buildup. It's like when you're watching The Office and you see those couple seasons of Jim and Pam, especially the second season, Will They, Won't They? And uh, when they get together, you're like, yes, oh, that's what I wanted. You know, but it's that payoff that just feels so satisfying. And this one kind of went for a payoff without, you know, doing the work for it, I felt like. But again, I don't want to poo-poo on this game. This game was fantastic. It was a lot more open. You do go to less planets than you did in the first one, but only slightly because the planets are more expanded upon uh, in this game. And I thought the story was still good, even though it wasn't quite my thing because there's a twist in there. I still don't really want a particular spoil. I think I already did maybe earlier in the year, but um there's just a certain Jedi you run into and it just felt like a little contrived in terms of how that comes about. And it just wasn't really for me, but a lot of people love that and that's awesome. And I think this game uh, just proved that this series is here to stay. It just solidified. This is becoming a franchise or at least a trilogy. And I can't wait to see where they go with the third title had a lot of fun improvements, great quality of life adjustments and uh, graphically stunning. Uh, The photo mode was so much fun to play with. One of my favorite photo modes I've had in a game. The customization was clearly improved. Um, Some of the looting was a little iffy for me, but um, that's neither here or there for people. But ultimately, it was a great game. I'd probably give it, for me, it's an 8. Do you think there's a good possibility that you could could still like the third game more than the first? And the third one comes out. Is that yeah, absolutely. Fun? I mean, it, it is hard, you know, because the first is always that barrier to entry. It's what you or not barrier to entry. It's your foot in the door moment. So as time goes on, as as, as things turn into a franchise, you kind of hold fast to that first one that got you into it. You know, it's it's the beginning. It's where things started. It's like the first Jurassic Park, the first yeah. Star Wars for a lot of people, the first Halo. But yeah, no, I think I could definitely love the third one. I mean, look, I love Star Wars, and I'm easy to please, and it's. It's very difficult for me to not like a Star Wars story. And, you know, I'm at the age where that's happened a couple times where I haven't liked some aspect of a Star Wars story. But 
I'm fine with it because I, you know, I don't need every story to make me happy. And that's the beauty of it is it's such a big sandbox. It's such a big playground that uh, there's going to be things I like. And I'm grateful to have such a breadth of Star Wars to give me the opportunity to dislike some aspect of it. So I'm very grateful for that and very grateful that uh, we got to see a sequel to this and it landed well. It did have some launch woes for a long time, but that's been fixed now. And that's not going to be something that's going to stay with the game permanently. But yeah, great, great follow up to what is arguably the most popular Star Wars game we've gotten in the last 10 years. Yeah, this was huge. Like, it goes to say something that, like, come the end of 2023, Jedi Survivor's not usually in the first... It's not even in the top five games people would mention, but it's a game that clearly could have been a Game of the Year nominee or winner in a year that had less stuff, you know? So it's Mm -hmm. kind of crazy. It's it's very Um, much a Tears of the Kingdom, I think. It's very... it's, It's a great game... Uh, I think early on it would have been in the game of the year discussion for game awards and, and just everywhere else, you know, publications, but it's just that tears of the kingdom where it's, it's bigger. It changes a lot of stuff, adds some stuff. So it's the, the DNA of uh, the previous entry is still there, but uh, this is more expanded upon and it does it better. I think for a lot of people, not for me, but uh, that doesn't mean it's bad. It's good. Yeah. You're it's good. Move, good. You ready to move on to Redfall, Josh? <laughs> do we have to? No, nah, I'm just kidding. Let's do it. Uh, yeah, we can. We don't. You know, we don't have to go through the whole rigmarole. I'm just joshing. The mud I'm again, just especially joshing. Since, especially since we're only in May and we get a lot of a lot of games to go here. But, well, this uh, is fun already, man. I mean, Redfall. Time. Yeah, um, Redfall for me, it it paints what it did. What it's what's great about Redfall is this was probably this might be the most fun we had with the podcast this year because Josh and I finally just let all of this like angst that was built up over like frustration with Xbox out. Um, we, we, we thought Redfall was going to be a terrible game months or a year before it, it launched, and we were correct. I mean, I say terrible. I know that sounds like I'm being a little hyperbolic. Like, I know review score-wise, this game was, you know, 65 to 70. Uh, so it's not like, you know, that is actually, by definition, not terrible. But, like, as far as a, a AAA exclusive from, from Microsoft Studios, this was not at all what people wanted to be. It's not what people wanted for, as fans of Arcane. Um, it was an online-only game with barely any story, lots of bugs, lots of issues. The map wasn't populated with enemies that often. We don't need to go into all the details of what was bad about it, but this is really the the point where like Xbox fans uh, just were, were saying, I don't know if how much more I can take of this, and like the showcase needs to be really good, Starfield needs to be really good. And um, but for us, it was a fun time because we got really passionate with our podcast episodes around this time and did some really long ones that performed really well. And then me and Joe started putting out YouTube videos again. We did that for a few quite a few months before we kind of trailed off again like we typically do. Um, But uh, I think Redfall was uh, it it seems now that it was a sign for for Microsoft to get their shit together a little bit, because since this, we've seen. there, there would be a restructuring of who's in charge of the game studios because when Redfall came out, more or less what they were saying is like, ah, it's not really our fault at Microsoft because uh, this was Bethesda's doing, not ours, where it's like, but don't you own Bethesda? Don't you have some like oversight of that? And since then, they've changed it and made it so that now all the things that Bethesda are also overseen by Microsoft and, and stuff like that. So um, I know I painted a really bleak time for the Xbox but luckily, between Xbox's great showcase and despite Starfield definitely not hitting that 11 out of 10 that people had talked about, 
Starfield still was a, a really good game that that really got the conversations going. And then, you know, Forza came out and you had like great Game Pass picks like Liza P and, and other things like that. And Xbox being up for nominees and all that stuff. Xbox ended up having a great year, but this moment right here where Redfall releases and we still haven't seen the showcase, whoo, man, it felt bleak. Because then you have that whole 2022 year behind you of, of no releases and Hi-Fi Rush being like our crowning achievement as Xbox fans just felt like... Oh, man, you know, because like, we just got mm-hmm. Ragnarok like six months prior on PlayStation. and But, uh, yeah, I mean, and here's the crazy thing, Josh. A lot of games kind of have that, like, redemption arc later where it's like, oh, people are playing this game now. I'm getting very Anthem vibes from Redfall where people are still looking at this game the same exact way they did at launch. Like, nobody gives a shit. Nobody's talking about it. Nobody's playing it. Like... I don't see like it might get it might actually get better and get updates and improvements, but I do not see a, a redemption for this game like we've saw for oh I don't know I mean Cyberpunk that's not a good example um oh what's a what's a game a lot what's a live service game that kind of came back I mean Halo Infinite's kind of experiencing that right like Sea of Thieves like the thing with Halo Inf- Sea of Thieves like these were games that were good at their bones that just needed work to get to where they could you know win over the crowd and it just felt like redfall even if the bones were decent it just didn't seem like the interest level was there from from gamers so i i think we're gonna see this game kind of just quietly just fade into the background and be another free game on game pass that doesn't really get talked about it's kind of crazy though that you you buy mountain dew and stuff this year redfall is on the packaging because that was one of their big hitters this year but i see that at work in retrospect like that that shouldn't have been there, right? So, uh, But that's all I have to say about Redfall, Josh. I have two things to say about it. I do want to comment on the game itself, but uh, first, just going off what you said, this is why I do not think live service games are a good idea. I do not think they're cost-effective at this point because you have one chance to make a good first impression on people. Otherwise, if you do not, then your game turns into a conversation for years of, is it getting better you know, and you have that player base that sticks around that keeps hoping it's going to get better. And then you're kind of in a damned if you do, damned if you don't situation. Because if you get better and you fix everything and you turn the game around, well, then, yeah, you have a good narrative there. But you poured a lot of years into kind of getting it to the point, it, you know, people expected and wanted it to be at, at launch. And that probably isn't fun to work on. Uh, as a developer, I imagine when you know you're hearing so much vitriol over time of people being what probably sounds like impatient, but it's because they they didn't get what they were expecting to get out the gate, and that's just got to be a tough situation to be in behind the scenes. I wouldn't want to be a developer um, who works on a game that has that bad impression. But I mean, if you if it's good, then you have that momentum to carry forward, and people are like, "This great, this game as a base is awesome. There's a lot of content here, a lot of offerings. I can't wait to see what's to come next. I'm going to stick with this game and plant my feet." And, you know, we're in a time when there's such a breadth of games more than ever. You have so much to choose from. And, you know, you have your single player games, your multiplayer games, your, you know, free to play games, your live service games, you know, your mobile games, uh, you know, all different kinds of games to choose from. And every one of these is fighting for your, you know, viewership, for your playtime, for your attention. And for a game to kind of like come out like this. Uh, I just kind of feel, uh, more or less, if I can summarize what you were trying to say, I think they need to cut their losses and move on. And, it, and it's not me trying to diss Redfall. It's just there's some games where you can kind of see, just like Anthem, where it just 
it it had such a bad launch state that it was going to be really difficult to turn it around. And although it's entirely possible, it was just going to take too much work and time. And why not put that into another game? You know, let people who enjoyed this enjoy it, deliver upon your promised DLC that you promised, but then move on from it. But in regards to the game itself, you know, I think it's a cool concept. I think visually it looks very cool. I really enjoy its art style. You know, you're in this town as these characters trying to take down vampires and cultists, you know, after this experiment, I think that went wrong. And um, it looks a lot of fun. You know, I saw clips that Diente would post in his review that he did, which was awesome. And, you know, it, the game looked fun in terms of the gameplay. It's not a game that speaks to me personally because in my day and age, you know, I don't want to have to try to schedule. You know, it, it's just like you see uh, for D&D fans trying to get together and schedule a session. It's impossible. You know, it's next to impossible when you're older. Sometimes it's hard enough for Brian and I to get together just for an hour episode. But, uh, you know, I like this type of stuff back in the day. It reminds me of uh, Left 4 Dead in a different way, but it has that four-player co-op feel to it. But not my type of game, but it had its fans. Shout out to Wesley and Diente and others that really, really enjoyed this and stuck with it and and really tried to find, you know, that that really saw um, a diamond in the rough here. And uh, I'm really happy for them that they had a good experience. And, uh, you know, obviously Xbox, Microsoft, Microsoft, you know, everyone Arcane's going to learn from this, and I think they'll they'll only do better from here on out. But it's a shame to see that it turned out the way it did. But I'm happy that people still found a lot of love out of it. Yeah, I mean, um, I mean, there's not much more that can be said about it. Um, I think it's just, I think, I think we should probably clarify too that it's not technically. I mean, it's not a live service game. It's just by the nature of it being online required, four player cooperative. I think we both did actually. Okay. Yeah, I think we both said it was. I mean, it's. Oh, was it wrong? It, it, it was. Mom was right. We we heard from we heard from behind the scenes stuff that it was originally supposed to be that, but they like they carved out like the microtransaction stuff before it launched in hopes of saving what was there. But well, it didn't really matter. But it's still it's a it's an online attached game that kind of pretty much lives and dies by Game Pass because I don't think many people spent sixty dollars on it. Right, and it's just you know, it's just for me being at this age. Seventy, it was Xbox's first seventy dollar game. I forgot. Ooh, that's why it was a bit more controversial too, because I remember the kind of funny yeah. podcast around the time that we did our kind of a breaking point episode. Uh, they had Phil Spencer on, you know, and they were going to have a whole different topic for Phil Spencer, but because Redfall was really uh, on the cooker, you know, uh, it was uh, yep. shifted the conversation entirely. But yeah. It's just as I'm older, you know, again, it's just really tough to have the time to do that. I mean, shout out to our high potion buddies that um, are trying to play Boulder's Gate 3 together whenever they can link up, which is tough on top of other games, you know, that they're maybe trying to play together or want to. The older you get, the harder it is to kind of get together. So, you know, I know it's something you can play by yourself. I think that's what Diente and Wes did, but... Um, a game that's kind of designed as a co-op outing is something I may dabble in on, on a single player front. I mean, I did a lot of that with the destiny games, but I just am not even, yeah, even though this is not live service per se, it's just not as much my cup of tea. And I feel like Xbox done a little too much of that, but I, you know, I kind of redact that in a sense now because it does feel like after this, uh, summer games fest, uh, Microsoft press conference, it does seem like they are. We're, we're, we're getting to that point where we're going to start getting those single-player games and Starfield. I, I know this Redfall was supposed to be the kickoff of games that you can play. Whether it's co-op or single-player, you can you ha- you can still get a single-player experience, but it didn't land. Starfield still had its own you know little mix of controversy, but I mean, I, I feel like they're there. The, game, the games are coming, but 
Redfall kind of reminded me of what I'm wanting to leave behind for Xbox, and that's just constant co-op experiences that I see drop on Game Pass. And I'm glad they're there. I know I'm not the target demographic because I'm older, but um, you know I'll be glad that games like that exist in the ecosystem when I have more games like Starfield to play. But yeah, it's not a diss on the game. It's just me as a player at the age I'm at. But we can move on. We can move on. I'm happy for people that love that game. Um, ne- yeah, uh, the next big one, and this this would be, I'd say, after, you know, Jedi Survivor was the biggest game so far, but this became the biggest game of the year. Uh, when this game came out, everyone was saying, well, that's it, shut the book, this is the game of the year, no chance for anyone else, which ended up being very wrong, but this was The Legend of Zelda Tears of the Kingdom, which I was very excited for, was definitely the game that I was the most hyped. Claire, stupid dog, shaking her chain. She's good, man, <laughs> she's good, um, not a big deal. The, the Legend of Zelda Tears of the Kingdom uh, was the... Will you st- go get away from me? She's good, man. She's got that jingle jangle. <laughs> um, it's Christmas time. It's all good. Yeah, she's staring at me like I was calling her because I needed her, but I really just chastised her. She's like, did you really um, assault me on but the But this podcast? was a game I was looking forward to the most the most this year. I was I was excited for it. I, I thought this would be my game of the year. I went to the Midnight Launch, which I will say that was the thing that stands out the most for me, is that Tears of the Kingdom really rallied people behind... This uh, going to a midnight launch again and like getting a physical copy like it was I I thought I was like the only one doing it. And then you come home and it was on the Internet everywhere, like Twitter and everything. People were like, oh, we went to the midnight launch. And I remember like different publications being like, I don't know why, but I guess like even Ryan McCaffrey at IGN was like, I guess people went to the midnight launch for this one. Like this is a midnight launch thing again. It was crazy. (laughs) And just the hype for it was great. And and what turned it turned out to be a great game you know it didn't let down at all i mean i think for what i was expecting it to be as a sequel to breath of the wild it fulfilled all my expectations i would give it a clear 10 out of 10 score um but uh it was for me i mean i i loved it and enjoyed it the whole way through by the time i was done with it i was like you know it was very much felt like playing breath of the wild again so it didn't have that new experience for me as much but the physics system they introduced in this game was next level and especially the fact that that physics like this were done with the things you can build and the things you can make happen with these physics they haven't been done like anywhere else and it was done on a freaking seven-year-old switch platform which is and it runs very well so it's just like what what huge devilry is this you know that uh, <laughs> from like lord of the rings but um great game and a clear uh, game of the year front runner the whole year um i know josh didn't get it or play it but um that's pretty much all I have to say, man. Lived up to the hype, and it was just as good as anyone could have hoped. That's so awesome, man. I, I loved the hype in the Discord for this game at the time when it was about to come out. I remember that commercial I've mentioned before on the show about the guy on the bus playing it and all these people playing it. Just a great commercial that feels like a, you know, a coming back home or come to Jesus moment. I don't know where it just reminds you of how sentimental and emotional gaming can be. It's just a, it's just a very good feeling. And just seeing people on TikTok um, get emotional over this game, just how happy it made them feel, the mental health boost that it was, a very calming, relaxing experience that uh, uh, has tense moments that are just so much fun. But I don't have much to say about it. I, I was going to shift it over to you before we move on. Can you tell us a little about a little bit about that midnight experience? Because if I remember correctly, I think you vlogged that on the Patreon, patreon.com slash sacred icon. But didn't you do that for yeah, this game? Yeah. Yeah, I had like a 50-minute video of like me and my buddy Michael waiting in line. But uh, yeah, it was pretty – I mean, we got there, you know, several hours early, and we were like – we were in like group five. So we were like, I don't know, 100 people back. Um, and this that is many people, year, though? Tw- 
Yeah, dude, it was always packed. I mean, there was another hundred behind us, probably. So, wow. 2023, and and that's the kind of experience it was. Uh, we all got these little free, like Tears of the Kingdom wood plaques, and um, I went home that night, and it was kind of weird because, like, I had I had beat Breath of the Wild multiple times, but I had never beat the final like DLC. Mm-hmm. So when I got home with Tears of the Kingdom. I tried to finish up the Breath of the Wild DLC instead of playing Tears of the Kingdom right away. So I spent like three hours on Breath of the Wild after I picked up Tears of the Kingdom. And then my dog peed on the floor, and then I was pissed, and then I cleaned it up, and I went to bed. So I didn't even play Tears of the Kingdom. Oh, I remember that. But it was actually a really amazing night because I remember I was in line. I was with my buddy. I was hyped for Zelda, and Joe had just done a video for us that had like... 15,000 views so I was like high on life on that <laughs> and then like our views kind of our views kind of went down after that and never mm. really regained that level so but it was it was hype it was a great time so Dude, that's awesome man I'm, I'm so glad that that game turned out as well as it did too especially continuing in that same vein as Breath of the Wild what a great experience Eric is still playing it she's got over 100 hours she's still playing it like as we speak day after day that's awesome that's very cool great game um, Josh, this next one uh, we're going to mention. So it's crazy. When Redfall came out, everyone thought, oh, well, the ga- the worst game of the year will probably go to Redfall. And then very shortly after, we get the release of the Lord of the Rings Gollum. And the funny thing is, the whole conversation s- switched over to Lord of the Rings Gollum is going to be the worst game of the year. And there's actually at least one, if not two more, I think there was two more games that came out after Gollum that were even worse than Gollum. There was like the King Kong game. I don't know what the other one was, but... Um, yeah, Gollum, a licensed game made by Daedalic Entertainment. Uh, Daedalic, I don't know how you say it's okay it. okay if you don't uh, remember it because I don't poorly think it's anymore. <laughs> no, I mean, that's the Embracer group for you. Yeah. But uh, yeah, you play as Gollum, like trying to escape prison, and it was just awful. It was just awful. And we didn't play it, but uh, I do remember the High Potion boys making fun of me and Josh saying that we'd probably pick it up and say it was great. But uh, <laughs> And Josh planned to pick it up, but I think once he saw all the things come out and he was like, I'm not going to spend $70 right now on on Gollum. But uh, yeah, anything that's, more to say about Gollum? That's Josh? pretty accurate to what happened. Uh, you know, th- I still think, I mean, I'm looking at the review of this. It looks beautiful. I love the art style they went with. It's very different than what uh, has been seen before in middle earth games really like the look it's just it's a game that asks who asked for this you know it's like i i feel like no one really wanted this no one was really interested you you get excited at the thought of lord of the rings or just a middle earth game in general but then you see that it's called lord of the rings Gollum, and you're like oh it's a Gollum, it's a Gollum game and it's like, well, Gollum's a cool character, yeah. but Gollum's one of those characters where, like, he's cool when he's, like, there you serving in addition to another lead character, like Frodo, you know? But it's like, I don't want him being the main character. You know, he's never done anything where yeah. his story is, like, super interesting, but, you know, I guess the people there felt like uh, it was worth telling. I will play this someday for the sheer curiosity of what the heck uh, this game is, and I'm sure I will probably be one of those people who ends up being an apologist. Although I've seen a lot I don't think I'll ever be able to apologize for. But yeah, it was a shame to see this kind of be the uh, punching bag for most of the year in terms of uh, game releases. This really took it until that King Kong game came out. But uh, yeah, it's a bummer. (laughs) It's a bummer. 
Um, Josh, but, the next one I want to move on to. I actually quick. do have one I wanted to touch on that you skipped over, but I don't I don't blame you for that. Okay, sorry. But go I'll, back to it. Go back. No, to it's it, okay. Yeah. It's okay. I didn't expect you to know this one. Um, this is Star Trek Resurgence. This came out just a little bit before. Mm-hmm. This is my Great White Buffalo of the entire year. This is a Telltale like inspired game set in the Star Trek universe, and it's made by Dramatic Labs. I was very excited for this game coming out because it has, it's kind of set. I think I'm a little fuzzy. I'm still new to star Trek, but it has like Spock in there, you know, from the original series and stuff um, with the likeness of Leonard Nimoy. And uh, this is something I really want to play. And I actually looked before this episode, Brian, to see if it was on sale. I got an email that was like 11 games in your wish list are on sale. And I was like, okay, let's see. They're going to be the usual Mm -hmm. games and it's, it's on sale and it's for like 20 bucks. I'm absolutely picking it up. I was waiting for this game to go on sale, I couldn't wait. Uh, I, I can't wait any longer. But this just looks like a very cool game visually. I mean, I, I've really come around to Star Trek a lot more. I'm a huge fan. I mean, I've 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 gotten on a bit of a TNG kick this year, and uh, loving characters like Data, Picard, and all that. But uh, although this isn't kind of set around that uh, narrative with those characters or timeline, whatever you want to call it, um, this this looks like a really cool Star Trek game visually, and uh, I want more of that personally. I, I love whenever. You know, we can get a Star Trek game or Star Wars game, and they just uh, they do well. And the reception I heard on this was pretty solid. It's just you know, in the breadth of games, it's gonna it's gonna really fall near the bottom because uh, it's not some big AAA production. It's like a Telltale like game, and a lot of gamers don't like those. A lot of, you know, a lot of the commercial gamers, I would say, just they don't really they want to have more control. But I love these sorts of games, and I'm absolutely buying this 100, percent and uh, cannot wait to boldly go where uh, No Man Is Gone. You know, it's gonna be a fun time. I mean, another one that probably mostly just got lost in all of 2023. Yeah. You know, just too much. It's just too much. So, it's just too much. Uh, one I'll briefly touch on real quick. Josh, I don't have a lot to say as uh, not too – let's see. This was also be – I believe I'm still in still in May here. Yeah, yeah, May. Uh, the System Shock remake came mm. out by Night Dive. Night Dive have been the ones that have been porting all those classic games like Doom 64 and Quake. They actually re- did a remake of System Shock, which – Looks beautiful, got great reviews. I, I talked to Joe a lot. Joe played it. Yeah, I was going to ask. Um, this was a Joe game. Something correct. I'm looking. Yeah, I, I think it's one I'll pick up once it comes to consoles. It only came out on PC uh, back then, but uh, another good release that kind of got lost in the shuffle um, that uh, reviewed well and people really liked. So that's something I look forward to maybe checking out. It does look cool. And the, and the original developer wasn't Ken Levine attached. This was uh, the guy who did Bioshock. Yeah, did he do yeah. this first. This is yeah, where he made his. Yep, that's. Is, uh, I don't know. Well, I think <laughs> this is where I the actually, legend began. I could, I could, I could be wrong. I don't think Ken Levine had a part of this one. It was he the had second, a part right? Of System Shock Two. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Second one, you're right. yeah. So, but yeah, happy for Joe, um, man, that this got to come out. I feel like this one was in development for a while, or maybe I just heard about it a lot and it felt that way. But I'm yeah. happy. It, it sounds like it turned out pretty well. They gave it an eight uh, on IGN. Next big game that came out. Yeah, no, I got good reviews all around. Um, Next big game that came out was Street Fighter VI, which neither Josh or I played, but it seems that it was everything everyone wanted from the next Street Fighter game. So, I yeah, got nothing to say about it, Josh. Yeah, no, <laughs> no not not too much. Uh, just you know, always happy to see a Street Fighter release. Just happy for its fans because uh, I kind of I, I I feel like Street Fighter and Mortal Kombat kind of exist more in harmony than they do rival one another. But they're two sides of the same coin. I feel like being fighting games, but just having completely different personalities and. Uh, I always yeah. hope that you know each one can learn from one another, and uh, you don't necessarily have to try to be the other one. I mean, they're clearly 
both different, but it's just nice to see what each one's doing. And we got two releases between uh, each one of those this year. So very cool to see. Um, shout out to Cami, looking great. You know, big fan of Cami and uh, Chun Li as well. So that's all I'm going to say on that, and we can move right on. <laughs> Um, the next huge game, which was very, very big, was Diablo 4. Obviously, you get one of these games, it feels like, every 10 years. Um, this was supposed to be a return to more darker roots than like the more kind of lighter color palette of Diablo 3. Uh, when Diablo 4 came out, it's all anyone ever talked about. And everyone was like, oh my gosh, this game's amazing. It's the best. I can't put it down. And then after a few months of uh, people getting through the content and other games coming out, I feel like the conversation quickly shifted to, ah, there's nothing to do in Diablo 4. You know, they, they, they failed to keep it going in post-launch. And once again, you have that whole live service thing that Josh talked about being a problem here again. I think ultimately, as the year concluded, um, Diablo 4 was seen as a, a very good entry in the series, one that people really liked, a, a very solid game that just uh, once again was was hampered by that live service content flow not being perfect like everyone expects it to be. Um, but I, I don't know. I, I think the live service thing is so unhealthy for our industry because not only does it rely on nickel and diming customers for them to make money, but we just saw actually today uh, Naughty Dog announced that they had canceled The Last of Us Online permanently. And what they said was, hey – we decided that if we wanted to make this a live service title that could actually be successful, we would need to cancel doing single player games moving forward so that we could develop for Last of Us Online only. And man, you tell me for a minute that it was even in conversation that Naughty Dog would quit making single player games to turn out a live service, that makes my heart sink. So I'm glad mm -hmm. they decided to can that. Um, it just goes to show how much work it takes to make a live service work properly and like it's a big gamble, and I don't think I can't imagine it's something that people are as passionate about as creating new single player experience or just new games in general. Um, I don't like it, and the thing is, nobody there's there's too many games for everyone to play every game daily. Like right, like usually you if you play a live service game, you choose that game and you stick to that game. And but uh, anyways, I mean yeah, that's basically what I have to say about Diablo Four. I heard, I heard Diablo Four was pretty good. It looks cool. I mean, I'm sure it'd be fun. Really, Diablo hasn't appealed to me since the second one. They don't really play the same anymore. They're not made by the same people. Um, but uh seemed to be a great game. I don't remember. Was Diablo 4 there at all at the Game Awards, Josh? I don't remember. I don't recall seeing it. I think it, it might have been there for one. Okay. I, th I think it was there for one category, but I don't. it didn't win anything, I don't believe. Mm -hmm. So you got anything to say about Diablo 4, Josh? Well, yeah. Uh, in, a, in addition to what you said, I just I feel like on paper, live service games are more profitable they seem more profitable than they actually end up being, you know, you, you have a game come out and if it doesn't have a lot of content outside of what's there and the, the, you have a long gap before the, the next content update comes out or like the big one, you know, like how destiny would sometimes release like more thinner releases and then they'd have the big, like taken King type of thing uh, or, or forgotten or whatever it was forsaken. I can't remember now, but um, you know, I think the thing is with those things is you have a player base that will, as soon as they're done, they're ready to move on to the next thing. Well, what's a live service game? It's meant to keep you there and sustain the player base. But if you don't have that content constantly rolling out, they're going to fall off. They're going to move on to other things. And I feel like the time that gets spent in between the game's release, having to fix it because no live service game ever launches in a complete state that's like, well, you know, there's always some like controversy of some kind, even if it's with just within that community. There's always some aspect that people don't take to that don't like or they didn't do well and they have to fix it's buggy. But then you have that that point of fixing that on top of trying to get the next content release that you've already like promised is coming 
out and people have either kind of moved on. And then when that stuff comes out, maybe some people come back to dabble with that, but then they move on again or, you know, and some of those people, you're kind of getting diminishing returns because let's say you get a hundred thousand people that maybe play a game at launch or, or let's say a million. Then by the time the next one comes out, well, maybe half of those people have dropped off and moved on other stuff. Maybe they didn't even beat the main game. So by the time the content, the first content update comes out, you know, maybe out of the 5,000 that dropped off, you know, maybe 50,000 come back. I don't know, you know, but I just don't think it's a profitable thing as it seems. And I think that's why everyone looked at uh, Sony's conference and saw that they're kind of going for some of that stuff and, and, and really, you know, raise the eyebrow with that. Like, well, what are you doing? Because uh, what's you, what you've been doing has been working. And this stuff seems like it's a not necessarily on the out, but it seems like it's just it's it's having, you know, uh, I just think live service games are this generation's microtransaction drama, like the, the, the talking point, you know. But anyway, about Diablo 4. Uh, I know, I think Diente played that, and I can't remember if he enjoyed it or not, but I know there was a lot of hype for this. Oh, Turt he, liked Ferguson. It. he liked it a lot. Oh, good, 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 good. But Turd Ferguson was behind this, and uh, I like Turd Ferguson a lot, but uh, just not for me. Diablo's never been my kind of game, and uh, but I'm happy for those who have enjoyed it. I know I keep saying that, but I am genuinely happy. I know it's got its fans, and it was a win for Xbox, I think, ultimately. I, I look at it as more of a win than I don't. So uh, I know Ryan McCaffrey, I think, had a really good time with it. But, yeah, that's about all I have to say on that one, Brian. Yeah, I mean, it was another, it was another big release this year, another game that could have been in the Game of the Year nominees if it was a smaller year. Um, just a couple I'll touch on real quick. I mean, I don't have hardly anything to say. Um, Crash Team Rumble, that disappointed me that after the a full Crash 4 that, that I, Activision put the team on this online battle arena Crash Bandicoot game that I remember when it came out, Basically, I remember articles being like, no one's playing it. Like, the, the numbers were that no one was playing it. Mm. Um, I also wanted to shout out to uh, Diente. I know he really likes Trepang 2, which came out right at this time. Um, okay. Which is like a first-person indie game, uh, first-person shooter. Uh, Pikmin 1 and 2 got re-released for the Switch. I know that oh, was exciting right. for Nestor. Yeah. Um, and then the big one, the big ticket one coming up here, my game of the year, Final Fantasy 16 released uh, June 22nd. Um, it was a game I was excited for, but not nearly as excited for as how much I ended up liking it. Um, I just didn't know what to expect. I, it wasn't going to be Final Fantasy seven, you know, and, and, you know, people had been upset about Final Fantasy mainline games for a while, pretty much since 13 and then 15. And, um, but the game came out and it came out the same day that, uh, of my wife and I's wedding anniversary. So, so we cool. decided... Yeah, it really made the moment. We decided to make our wedding anniversary, instead of going out to a restaurant or something, we got a babysitter, and then we had um, our actual, the the people from church that babysit our daughter, they made us uh, all the ingredients for homemade homemade pizzas and and cookies, (laughs) and they gave it to us, and then we brought it home, and then me and Erica made the homemade pizza together, and had homemade pizza and cookies, and played Final Fantasy XVI together. Uh, for our anniversary That's and then you know that you married kicked right, off right there <laughs> yeah right like who gets to do something awesome like that for their right. anniversary like very cool you know other people be gotten gotta be taking their wives to the opera or some shit i'm playing final fantasy well, 16 i like so. the opera but i know what you're saying <laughs> yeah. i mean i don't know i could enjoy the opera <laughs> i fancy maybe, but, it uh, but yeah that kind of kicked off um what the next uh like month of gaming would be as me and erica would get home and like try to get everything done so we could sit down and switch off playing Final Fantasy 16 for the next month. And uh, it was just a, a great game with an awesome story and soundtrack and characters. 
Um, you know, it wasn't perfect. I mean, the, the the negative conversation at the time was that it stripped a lot of its RPG elements out, and it you know, but um, it 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 did great um, sales wise. Square said, and it did great score, got great scores, and I think a lot of people thought at the time this would be one of the games of the year. But too many good things came out after it and had already came out before it, so it it wasn't up for game of the year. Uh, but it did win best soundtrack. Um, this is my game of the year. Like I said, this for me, the way I look at it is like this is the Final Fantasy VII remake experience, but in a in a high fantasy medieval setting. Um, so it was so awesome to have that. And of course, now me and Eric are going back to the DLC and it's staying relevant. But uh, I love this game, and I think uh, if the day ever comes, Josh gets it on a sale and plays it. I think he'll love it too. So yeah, I think my dad is watching the Santa Claus movie without me. I just I'm, I'm hearing the music in the background wow, as you're talking to me. That's betrayal. <laughs> that's like a, that's like the Lion King two song, deception, disgrace. No, it's cool though. We've been watching so many. We just rewatched Christmas with the Cranks, and that movie's way better than I remember it being, dude. Wow, what a! It has got like horrible scores too. Yeah, but I had such a freaking blast, man. But yeah, yeah, I like just, it. I, we were watching so many Christmas movies. I'm having such a blast, and Shakira and Mom stepped over briefly yesterday, and uh, Shakira got to see the tree and the wreath, just some of the decorations we put up and stuff like that. And it was just really cool. To, every time one of the girls have stopped over, they've you know I, I see a little bit of the Christmas spirit increasing, and it makes me feel good. I'm like, yeah. But anyway, man, I'm sorry. Uh, yeah. <laughs> to, to what no, you me said. and Erica have been me and Erica have taken River to two different parks to look at lights. So I'm feeling that Christmas. Oh, spirit that's so awesome, man. Creating nostalgic memories, and I love that you guys are cataloging that through photos that she can look back on when she's older. Yeah, she's even like, yeah. I don't remember this. I bet you don't. You were just nope. a little baby, but you know, there, it just was. A little there baby. you are. Yeah, but yeah, Final Fantasy 16, man. This is another game that uh, I would really like to to play at another point. You know, I think Wesley said at one point in time or another, and I'm probably paraphrasing it, but he's. I, I, I think he's, and I'm sorry if I'm misrepresenting you, Wesley, but I, I, I align with this at least. But I think he said. That he's someone who kind of plays more. He he tried to tries to go for games that have been out for a while. I think doesn't always play like the new hotness right away. I think he said that. Yeah. And uh, again, I could be misrepresenting that, but I'm learning as I'm getting older, especially this year, that that is actually the type of gamer I am. And I think I'm I take longer than other players to beat games. So when I see other people beat a game super fast. It kind of kills my enthusiasm to play a game because I do like to take part in the conversations. And when I've kind of missed that or it's got so beyond my reach that I can't participate, I'm kind of like, well, you know, I was going to take my time with this game anyway. I guess I'll just play it when, you know, I don't need to play it when it's new now. You know, it kind of like the the newness of it or or the the reason why I want to play it for being new, if that makes sense, is something I don't need. I I don't. FOMO lasts about a week. Yeah. I think FOMO has about a week on it. Yeah. And, uh, but this game, this game looks awesome, man. It has a Game of Thronesy vibe that really appeals to me. Yep. Final Fantasy 15 was a game I almost bought at one point, almost played, but it's a little too big for my britches. And this is like really my cup of tea. And everything I've heard about this game between 
High Potion and you, Brian. Man, this game just sounds freaking cool. It looks awesome. Uh, I love that, uh, you know, I, I know it's an unpopular opinion, but I love some of the more uh, RPG-stripped elements of it, even though I know that's that's its roots. But uh, it just, it, it's just going to be more accessible for me to get into and probably give me a lot more optimism going into 17 whenever we see the day of that. But, dude, I'm so it's so cool to hear that experience you got with it with Erica, and I'm glad you had a great time with it. Game of the year, it won best score over Baldur's Gate 3, so how cool is that? But, yeah, just an awesome, awesome game, man. I, I you know, on the outside looking in, it looks like this game's going to age very well. Yeah, I, I think it'd be cool. I need to keep my keep my ear to the ground to see uh, if any publications do give it Game of the Year. Because as I said on the last episode, um, the Game Awards is the most prestigious, but Game Awards are given by many different publications. So a game can be Game of the Year even if it didn't win Game of the Year at the Game Awards. Right. And I know just today IGN gave out their Game of the Year to Zelda. So already you have you know something different than Baldur's Gate. Um, so I'd be cool to see if somebody gave Final Fantasy 16 Game of the Year. That's not me saying I think someone should. I mean, I think there's plenty of games that could easily be seen as better. Um, but uh, I don't need the award to... Well, it's cool down. when the game that you like the most or the movie you like the most gets talked yeah. about the most in a positive light that reflects how much you enjoyed it, right? So, I mean, I get it. Yeah. I get it. It's just a, it's just a really tough year, you know? So Sure. Stop whining. Got a whining dog. Oh, I can't even hear her, man. She's um, fine. Um, but yeah, no, that's pretty much all I have to say for, for 16. I mean, it's 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 a game that I just like more the more I think about it. That's the thing that, you, that's when you know you really like loved it, when you can get away from all the hype and the FOMO. And still sits really good with you. Yep. Uh, what do you get that out of 10, um, Brian? Fun factor. If we're, yeah, if we're just going fun factor, I'll give it a 9. 9? Okay. Yeah. Okay, interesting. I'll probably give it an eight, an okay. eight critically. We'll review these at the end of the episode. Um, the only, the next thing I want to touch on just briefly, once again, we don't need to talk about much. Uh, Dave the Diver came out uh, a week after that, Dave which became one of the one of the most talked about uh, indie games of the year. Uh, especially the fact, like, was it actually an indie game or not? You know, we covered that in the last episode. I don't need to reiterate that, but uh, really good game. At the end of the day, that's what matters. So. Um, that was a big talking point there. Um, let's see here. I think that's it for the month of June, going into July. Well, you're Josh, scrolling. Day the diver could... missed me with that. That's a miss me of miss <laughs> miss me with that game. Uh, I don't know. I need to give out awards for that. <laughs> Games I'm not interested in, but you might be. Yeah. Yeah. Dave the diver just isn't um, my type XO... of game, but looks cool. What's up, Brian? Go ahead. Uh, X Exo Primal released July 14th. I know no one's talking about that now, but that was. Uh, pretty hot in conversation for a couple weeks because it was a big multiplayer game from Capcom that launched on Game Pass. Uh, I believe it did pretty well, like at the start, but I'm pretty sure that that community's fallen off, you know, by mm. by now. Mm. But I just thought I'd throw that out there. It was sure. another game. Um, moving forward, I don't want to miss. I kind of we kind of want to hit on all the big talking points. Absolutely, no. I mean, oh, Pik- these go ahead. Pikmin Four would probably be the next one. Sure. Oh, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you, John. No, you're not. It's um, just the audio audio uh, st- uh, issues. You know, we're fine. Yeah, How are you? Uh, definitely. We had a lot of issues just getting this recording off the ground, so this is definitely a technical issue episode. Yeah, it'll probably sound um, like we're interrupting one four, another a lot, but that's that's not actually happening. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, Pikmin 4 came out in July, on July 21st. Uh, this was probably finally on the fourth entry of the Pikmin game to kind of break through 
it's it's niche that it's always been in and kind of be a little bit more mainstream. I wouldn't say it's mainstream like a Final Fantasy or Baldur's Gate, but definitely it, it left its uh, its small pocket it was in and got into a larger pocket. I know a lot of people loved this game. Uh, Nestor, of course, loved it, and it won um, Best Real-Time Strategy, I think it was. Uh, best Real-Time Strategy Tactical Game of the Year. Um, yeah, it finally got that game out into the, the mainstream a little more, and it brought with it... Uh, you know, ports of the first two games for the Switch. So nothing more I need to say about that, Josh, uh, if, unless you want to talk about Pikmin 4. Well, I want to give a big shout-out to Nestor, and I'm <laughs> I'm getting it mixed up. Uh, what is the name of their podcast? Was it Haunted Mansion? I, or am I thinking of the Eddie Murphy yeah, movie? Yeah, the Haunted Mansion. Okay, because I'm like, am I, am I nope, starting Mansion, to yeah. think of the Eddie Murphy movie and then the Rosario Dawson one? <laughs> but yeah, the Haunted Mansion podcast yeah. they have done. They did um, some Pikmin retrospectives. They did a review with a fourth one. And I think it, did they, John? Um, I thought I saw them. Unless I daydreamed it. Did they put out another episode? I, thought I don't might think have they recently. put out one recently. I think it's okay. Been a, I could bit. be wrong, but anyway, um, either way, check out that podcast. Some great stuff on there. Pikmin was something that Nestor was very much looking forward to, and from what I understand, he had a great time with this, and it was really cool to see. And if I'm not mistaken, didn't they? Wasn't this revealed at like a direct? But then the, in the same direct, they also announced the the first two, like you, you know, already mentioned, uh, releasing. Yep. So yep. cool, man! They, yeah, which they dropped. It was a shadow drop digitally, and then the physical copies later. Yep, just like Metro. So Prime. freaking cool, dude. So, um, yeah. But uh, the next one, Josh, I thought I'd mention real quick is uh, High on Life. I know there's a lot of conversation about that for a while. It was like a comedic first-person shooter where like your gun could talk to you and had a face and everything. It was pretty silly. A lot of people talked about it. Um, I think it's from the people who make Rick and Morty. I think they had uh, some involvement with it, if I remember right. What game was it? But I didn't play it. I didn't have any interest in it. Uh, High on Life. That game with the gun that talks to you. You remember Oh, so this released... Okay, because that released last year on Xbox, but it released this year on PlayStation, I see. Oh, my bad. Okay, I... No, 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 you're okay. I did the same I just, thing I you did. It's, uh, yeah, I didn't realize that. Threw me off a little. Okay. Yeah, okay. Well, but, we don't uh, need to talk about that anymore then. Um, Remnant 2 came out uh, right here oh, on I'm sorry. July 25th. If I can... Yeah. Just correct myself. I want to get it right on uh, to Nestor's respect. It's the Hidden Mansion, not the Haunted Mansion. It's the Hidden Mansion podcast. Oh, I would feel man, really bad I if I bad. got through the podcast. And no, it's okay. It's okay. Wanted to get it right. It's just I've seen so many movies, and I saw the Haunted Mansion remake recently. So or whatever you yeah. want to call it, but yeah, Hidden Mansion's a great podcast and has some good Pikmin episodes. But go ahead, Brian. I'm very sorry. Um, yeah, so that was it. High in Life was just, our, I guess it was already on Xbox. I forgot. I didn't play it, obviously, so I forgot about that. Just like Josh forgot about Last of Us Part 1, so our mistake. Mm-hmm. Um, Remnant Sorry. 2 came out, um, which a lot of people were talking about Remnant 2. I didn't know there was Remnant 1. Josh and I have no experience with this game, but it also ended up at the Game Awards, so I thought I'd mention it there. Um, I don't know, third-person shooter. But oh, okay. we'll move on. Yeah, I'm not too familiar with Remnant. Say, I mean, I've heard of it, but yeah, I yeah. too much on it. You voted for it, but uh, <laughs> oh, was that the one that the had the the big pelvic lady sorcery? On? Oh, yep, yeah, pelvic sorcery yeah. lady. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Very pelvic cool game. Um, Very cool game, guys. Awesome. Uh, Neat. Disney Illusion Island came out. That was up for best family game. I don't know much. Oh, is that the it. one we said had crude animation? It just looked kind of off. Ah, uh, yeah, that was it. Yeah, I think that was it. Illusion Island. Uh, I'm just looking up gameplay, even though we're sifting through some. August. In August, Josh, on August 3rd, we had a little game called Baldur's Gate 3. You want to take that one? 
Yeah, Boulder's Gate 3, man. Uh, yeah, I guess I can lump my take in right here. This was so, so freaking awesome, man, because it finally was coming out of early access that it had been in for, like, shoot, I think two years, maybe even a bit longer. Um, I'm probably wrong on that, but it had been in uh, early access for a very long time. And even within that, the early access only contained the first act out of a three-act game. So a lot of people were constantly replaying through that stuff as classes were added, content was added, adjusted, taken out, added in, you know. And I had to stay away from that as much as I really wanted to partake in it. One, because my laptop was not going to run that baby. But two, and most importantly, I didn't really want to see any of that until I got to really play the game myself. But for three, I guess, uh, I didn't really know if I was going to get the chance to because this was only listed as PC for the longest time. And, I mean, as early back as when this game was first announced, I thought, well, I'll have a PC by then. PC Master Race, here I come, joining you guys. You know, and that didn't happen. But, you know, man, this was just so cool to see a victory uh, win for this and, and make the splash it did and know that it was coming to PlayStation not too long after. They got me so freaking excited. And I don't know. <laughs> I'm sure PlayStation is going to do a lot with this generation, but I don't think anything will make me as more satisfied to own a PlayStation than the fact that I was able to get Boulder's Gate 3 on it. That made me so happy and made me feel so good. But yeah, this game is freaking amazing. I mean, my game of the year, uh, one of the best games I've ever played, and I, I haven't beat it. I'm not over on the other side of that fence of conversation. But you know, it's a great game, uh, set in the Forgotten Realms. It's a uh, you know, which is a sort of playground, a lore sandbox, if you will. You know, setting for Dungeons and Dragons, but you don't really have to be familiar with Dungeons and Dragons. It absolutely helps, but it teaches you those things along the way and doesn't really require you. You know. Um, to, to, to know that stuff, you know, but very accessible in that sense, but has a lot of complex layers with this gameplay. Turn-based combat is something that is just not popular these days, like RTSs, but, you know, hopefully with the success of this game, it's going to bring that back. Josh, can I back. ask you something? Sure. I feel like, correct me if I'm wrong, because you know more about this than I do, but a lot of people say, oh, you know, um, Baldur's Gate uh, combat is not accessible to players because, you know, turn-based isn't that popular, but... I feel like Baldur's Gate 3's combat should is is something complete. It's still quite a bit different from what you would expect standard turn-based affair to be. I feel like a lot more people can easily access your typical Final Fantasy turn-based or you know any other turn-based game like Lord of the Rings Third Age. But this is like a tactical turn-based. It's kind of like a an XCOM meets real time, right? Like I think it's even, absolutely even more Brian, different. You've been yeah, no, and and I'll put this the nice way because somebody else could make a negative argument on this, but I think for a lot of people, they just don't enjoy this genre because it requires them to think, and that's not an insult. It's that some people work long hours at their jobs, have stressful lives, and they just want to get on a game where they can turn their brain off, not really have to think. Like when you play Halo, you know, and you can mow through the Covenant and just have a fun time doing that, and it's got a really nice uh, entryway into that. But this is a lot more tactical and crunchy, and it is easy to grasp, you know, as long as you're willing to invest the time to understand it. But, you know, it's not going to appeal to everyone because some people just don't want to think about it. They want to turn their brains off. I like to be challenged, and I, I like turn-based because of that. I do like to turn my brain off, you know, but I also really like when a game makes me think, and that's why I love turn-based. And getting into Dungeons & Dragons in 2019, it was just, it was like literally weeks after your wedding, and seeing that this was announced 
and then being able to play it now and have it feel like what I played at the table. I mean, it's a dream come true. And in a time when I'm not playing D&D with anybody, especially because of back issues, this is really nice to hop on and play for an hour or two and hop off. And even if I don't make a lot of progress, but just great player ingenuity, man. Great, great customization options. I love the character interactions. I mean, if you're someone who has played KOTOR or the Mass Effect games, Dragon Age, you know, I mean, any type of those RPGs that, you know, or Fallout that even let, that let you have companions and talk to them, romance characters, you're gonna, even if you don't like the turn-based combat, you're gonna find a way to love it because you're gonna love what else is there on the surface that you're familiar with. And it just goes into that in a layer that's never really been done before. And I'm really, really happy this game came in a year that was kind of hard for me. So it's been a very big bright spot and uh, I'm happy to see it get all the praise it's gotten. And for Larian, who's got that old CD Projekt Red reputation going right now, uh, I'm so happy for them, man. And great to see it finally available for everyone to play. I love it. Makes me I got to give Josh credit too because, and it's on the podcast for proof. But Josh was excited for Baldur's Gate three when seemingly no one was. Now, obviously, there was a lot of people excited for it, but comparative to when this game came out and became the behemoth in the gaming industry, it is. Josh was interested in this before other people. I remember people talking about games they were interested in, like Starfield or. Or Spider-Man 2, and then Josh would be like, my game's Baldur's Gate 3, and everyone would kind of be like, uh, oh, yeah, that game. You know, like, no one, it wasn't a talking piece yet, so Josh was looking forward to this game I do feel like that guy sometimes, it it's a bummer, but thing. part of that's my DNA, so I understand. And, uh, it comes with the territory, but thank you, yeah, bro. But this was definitely a Josh game, uh, definitely a Josh game, knowing what kind of games you like, like KOTOR, Dragon Age Origins, um, you know, XCOM, uh, Mario Rabbids, like, this game was... A Josh oh, game, and it's immediately I, up in Josh's <laughs> top three, I believe. So as of right now, yeah, it's definitely going to sit in the the top five probably for forever, you know. But I don't know where it's going to sit within that. But yeah, dude, the last thing I'll say on it is yeah. just playing that, getting to that character creation made me whew, very emotional, and uh, like I had a really good like I don't know how to explain it, but sometimes you just you have a really good cry and you look forward to that <laughs> when it happens. Cause it's just very therapeutic, very cathartic. Yeah. And I just think it was like all the stuff that I've gone through in this crazy year, um, just unfolding in this experience that kind of like, as I'm going through the character creation, it's realizing that like, Oh, this game is what I thought it was going to be. This game is what I expected it to be. And the music solidifying that and the graphics look cool. And there's just a lot of like ambiance in the background of this character creation. And it just just looks so visually stunning. And I was just like, Oh my God, (laughs) like it's like, it's going to be okay. And I just, uh, it was like holding my hand and reminding me that like, you know, usually when you go through some bad stuff, that usually means there's something good on the horizon coming. So, yeah, just, man, makes me very, very happy. And uh, it seems like it's worked uh, in everyone's favor for that in regards to mental health. So if you're going through a hard time, maybe look at Boulder's Gate 3 because I think it will pick you up. Very definitely, the, definitely the biggest game of the year. This game this game dominated conversations. And pretty much once this game launched, the, the whole uh, Zelda's got it in the bag kind of went to the side immediately. As soon as this game released, it was like, I don't know if Zelda's got it in the bag anymore. And then... You know, as the year went on, it became Alan Wake also made it say, you know, Zelda's not got it in the bag. Good so. to see, though. And it, it just, and that's what won Game of the Year. So, Yeah, and it just goes to show you, man, you can't count any game out regardless of when it releases. You know, when they release, the earlier they release, the easier it is to forget about them. But, I mean, 
shoot, Elden Ring yep. won last year's game of the year in February, and then you still got Alan Wake releasing yep. in what October, November, and that being up there. So very cool. But hey, thank you for everything you said, Brian. I really appreciate um, that. For this game being what it means to me, I appreciate that. Nope. A lot. No problem, dude. Yeah, this is like I mean, Baldur's Gate three is insanely impressive. This game, I, mean, I just I just love the whole story of Larian and everything that happened. Roads of success, right? Yeah. Uh, but Brian, before we move on real quick, I know we talked about this behind the scenes, but in case anyone's wondering on the show, when do you plan to try out this game? Well, it would probably be after Rebirth is come and gone um, because it's only two, like a little over two months away for Rebirth at this point. Um, I'm really, here's the thing, and Josh kind of already said it. I know me, and I'm going to love the setting and the characters and the and the decision making and the dialogue. I'm scared of the combat, and it's not the whole typical. Oh, I hate turn based because I don't actually hate turn based. I used to. I love turn based now. I mean, I'm playing Super Mario RPG right now. Um, oh, but so cool. The tactical. Yeah, it's it's Super Mario RPG is great. Um, the tactical element. And the slow, like the slowness of it, and the like dying and failing, even on easy mode. I've heard it's not like necessarily an easy game. Uh, that that makes me a little fearful because it's a even if you skipped a lot of side content, which I know nobody who plays loves Baldur's Gate three would want you to skip side content. But even if you do, we're talking a near one hundred hour game. Um, and if I really suck at the combat or really don't like it or it's hard for me to get a grasp of it. It's going to slow down how quickly I can actually make progress through the game. So I'm I'm literally fearful of it. Um, I might play it sooner if I wasn't fearful of it, but I do feel like it's a must play game that I need to. I need, it's like like Witcher Three, you know, you need to have that experience. So um, I don't see it going on any kind of sale anytime soon. So I mean, there's no reason to wait longer than needed. So I would wager that I'm going to play it before we hit summer. You know, you know what I love about the combat, Brian, if I can really like pinpoint it, What's that? is it's like a push and pull. And I really love the push and pull dynamic of turn-based combat. And it's like setting, trying to arrange your crew in certain areas, like moving this one here, putting this one up here, this one down there, or saving this spell for when you get closer to this enemy or that one. And it's kind of trying to move the chess pieces on the board so you can arrange for just a really good payoff. And then kind of knowing that it's never really going to go the way you think, because the moment you're done with your turn order, whether it's your character or a couple of them and they're in a turn, the moment it gets to the opposing, you know, the, the enemy and they do something and you start stressing, you start sweating, you clench your butt cheeks and you're like, oh gosh, what are they doing? Are they moving close to my character? I hope they miss. Or then suddenly they get a critical hit and it has, it forces you to con- completely rethink what you were going to do. And you constantly have to do that on the fly. So you're constantly having to ask yourself, you know, how am I going to reevaluate this? And you have all the time in the world to do it. But again, it's something that, you know, you have to be the person who enjoys that, is passionate about it. Otherwise, you know, you got to play on the story mode and you can breeze through it, though. Um, Tony messaged me and Tony was telling me that he's been playing it with the the wife a little bit. And I think she I think she's going through surgery. So shout out to her, Tony. I hope she's doing well. But yep. um, yeah, I think he today, was playing I think it today. She's entered. Yeah. Yeah. So she's been in my thoughts. They've been in my thoughts. But um yeah, I, I think he said they were playing through it on in, in co-op split screen. He was having a blast, but they were kind of mowing through it a bit. And uh, 
you know, he had, he was yeah. giving me some interesting feedback on that. That was kind of different. So, but, but cool and very neat to hear, but I, he was saying it was felt pretty easy and stuff like that at the time. So hopefully it is for you when you do get to play it, but yeah, it sounds like you're going to play it probably just, at, you're going to at least try it sometime in 2024, right? Yeah. I, I mean, I could make the time for it anytime. I just, I just need some kind of final push to just make me go, yeah, I need to play this now. And, but I, I'm, I'm sure I will experience this game because it's one of those games, you know, me as someone who's passionate about the industry and, and wants to be able to comment on it, be able to talk to Josh about it and, and offer experience of, you know, be able to talk about moments of the game. I, I, I'm going to get to it. It's important. So, but absolutely amazing man. game, amazing game. And just, just the talk of the year. And I was so happy for all the, it's, it's one of the, I think it's a sign of maturity more than anything. It's just, I wanted this game to win. I wanted this game to receive its accolades. It doesn't really matter if I've had the personal experience with it or not. I just love to see this in our industry. It's not a microtransaction filled game. It's not an online only game. It's not a pre-order to play 10 days early type game. It was just a full content complete amazing experience that that was worth your money and deserving of all the praise so shout out well to said, Brian. three um josh i i i will say this now and i feel good about it because we we're at two hours and 10 minutes i have a full 30 minutes left i can give to this podcast i'm letting you know that now that we're in holy we're God. in august but i have 30 minutes okay. yeah so take us <laughs> through man it'll put us at two hours and 40 minutes all right, yeah, we're going to the theatrical uh, edition yeah, of Lord of the Rings now. Okay, let's do it. Yeah, well, I mean, I feel I, you know, it's still a pretty long episode. I'm sorry, God. Okay, we'll see what we can do. Um, but uh, yeah, but we can go through some of these that aren't as important to Josh and I quick. But the next one that I feel like I should shout out is Immortals of Avium. Um, I know a lot of people kind of talked about like, hey, is this a game I'm going to care about? But no one seemed to actually say, yeah, they just kind of talked about it. Uh, Diente did buy it. He felt it was underwhelming, and here's what's crazy about this, Josh. This was August yeah. 22nd this game came out, and okay. I saw this game less than four months later, just last, just earlier this week, $7.99 to buy this game digitally. Ain't no way. It was a $70 release. Oh, yeah, no. dude, 8 bucks. I don't know if it's still that, but a couple days ago, it was $8 <sighs> to buy. So, oh, boy. That's sounds telling, like huh? it was a pretty like competent game. All the way through, like better than Forspoken, just not, not at the top love, tier level. So, man, we don't have time, but I love that you brought up for Forspoken because Immortals of Avian was another game that reminded me of that, where it feels like they try to have this really interesting, unique aesthetic, but it ends up largely uninspired and just kind of feels like it's not enough yeah, to stand out. I agree, but it's like trying to stand out and differentiate, but it, it ends up just feeling like bargain bin material, and you hate to see that. You hate to see that. Yeah, and guys, I'll, but, I'll, hey, Josh, we'll we'll skip the the patron shoutouts and stuff this time, just so we can give people okay. the meatiest of episodes. So we'll just talk sure. right up until my time, and we'll we'll get out of okay. here. So. All right. Well, hey, real quick, yeah. Men Twenty Four. Uh, I bought it, uh, played it for like a week. Haven't played it since. Another WWE version. Uh, I shouldn't have bought it two years in a row. We can move on. Men, <laughs> men. Yeah, shout out to EA and their Madden games. Two big mistakes uh, for me. By that we mean screw. Screw you guys. That's what we mean by shout-out. So, <laughs> the shout-out for Baldur's Gate is praise. The shout-out to Madden is screw you guys. Oh, um, night and day. The next, night and day. Next, yeah, yeah. Different shout-outs. Um, the next big game <laughs> to mention is Armored Core 6, Fires of Rubicon. I mean, it seems like whenever FromSoft drops a game, whether it's the game of the year or not, it's just a fantastic game. 
Everything I've heard about this game has been amazing. Obviously, Joe in our community, he said it was perfect. 1010 experience. He loved it. Um, from Soft, once again, you know, they got the game of the year last year for Elden Ring. Here they are just a year later with another game. It was up for uh, best action, I believe, and won. Mm. Um, another great game from FromSoft. I'm not personally interested in mechs and stuff, so I didn't really buy it myself. But I'm sure it's a great game. Well, the way- Only heard good things. Josh? You got anything to say Boy, about these mechs are like skidding around and stuff. It looks like like it reminds me of when I had lag back in the 360 era. <laughs> but I know that's I mean that's that's the fun of the game is the way these mechs yeah. move around in the gameplay and stuff. But dude, yeah, Joe was super excited for this, and I'm so happy to see it did so well. Shout out to you, Joe. Um, uh, done so much for us on the show, and I'm always happy to see when games land for you. And uh, like you know, I always associate Death Stranding with you. Every time I see anything about that, I'm like, well, you know. You know, that's a win because Joe liked it. You know, even if I'm not personally interested as much, I know Joe is. So I was always, you know, a lot of things remind me of a lot of people and uh, stuff like this, too, case in point, does. And uh, I was really happy to see this do well for him. First release in that franchise in a decade. So <sighs> definitely important. Um, but yeah, been a while. Josh, uh, I'll just. I'll throw out uh, Goodbye Volcano High. That was another popular indie game that was talked about. It was up at the nominees. Obviously, Josh and I didn't mm-hmm. play it. Um, sea of Stars was like, to me, that, Josh, tell me if you agree. Sea of Stars seemed like the indie game that everyone kind of saw, everyone kind of noticed. It felt like the closest thing to a AAA game that actually wasn't. Um, and we've heard yeah. from you know people like Tony in the community and stuff that thought it was great. Um, I wouldn't. I wouldn't say there's no chance I'll, I won't play this. I could see myself playing this no one day. Um, it just looks like an awesome, awesome uh, t- uh, third. What was I trying to say? Um, turn-based, you know, kind of JRPG inspired type game. It did win for best independent game, but uh, yeah, I mean, Josh and I both thought this game looked pretty cool. Yeah, same thing here. And the game that reminded me of Tony, uh, probably that always will. Looks really pretty. I uh, haven't played it. I may play it someday. But uh, yeah, it kind of transcended. It ele- it was elevated past its own medium because of how well it's it was. So glad to hear that. Glad to see that. Happy it was up for awards. It sucks so much that Josh and I have these technical issues because it's like me and Josh are like trying to be like, let's not interrupt each other. It's like let him speak, and then there's just like dead silence. But you guys, <laughs> silence. Are um, then, uh, just, I'll just throw it out there to re-mention, uh, September 6th, Baldur's Gate 3 got its PS5 release, so the whole conversation around Baldur's Gate started over again. Then you immediately have, uh, Starfield, you know, it comes out also on September 6th, but there was the early access you could buy, um, that's pretty much where a lot of people in our community, including myself, you know, that's, the conversation all turned into Starfield. I know Josh even mentioned, I think last episode, like him and Prey were kind of off in the corner talking about Baldur's Gate where the most of the discord was going on about Starfield. Uh, this was um, the game of the year for, for Deante, game of the year for Wesley, uh, probably several others. I think even uh, Timberland Bear in the discord. A lot of people loved this game. I loved this game Bear. despite. <laughs> yeah, he was back. Um, despite a lot of my criticisms, I love this game as well. Um, Starfield for me, you know, we've talked about it so much. I don't want to re- reiterate too much, but you know, it felt very much like by the numbers Bethesda. But it was cool to have them back with a, a new single player game and a, you know, after Fallout seventy six, you know, back to their roots and um, the writing here was a step up. I felt from Fallout four, and you were in this new universe, a sci fi version of what you expect from Bethesda games. Um, and honestly, it probably 
was one of the games this year to get the most conversation as well. I mean, a lot of conversation for the hype. And then once the game com- came out, there was a lot of conversation around it. Because, you know, where I could just be like, yeah, there was a lot of conversation around it because of its problems. That's not fair. Because really what it was is it was such a perplexing game. Because it was it was a game that a lot of people were enjoying and having a thrill, uh, getting a thrill out of. But it had these like wonky, like old kind of things that you'd, you you would have expected that wouldn't be a part of the game anymore. And then there was like people playing it and going, damn, this is like a 9 out of 10, maybe almost a 10 experience. This is my game of the year. And then you had people being like, I put in 20 hours and I hated it. And it's like a 5 out of 10. It's a 6 out of 10. And like just so much like back and forth conversation and people just kind of shocking each other with like, is it amazing or does it suck? Like I keep hearing everything and the conversations <laughs> were all over the place. And even people like me who really liked it, uh, I really stirred the pot a lot too with like, you know, this is here's my takes on this game. I don't feel like it's, I feel like it's got all these problems. And then other people feeling like it wasn't as bad as it as it seemed. I know, like my brother Creighton, he he felt like you know, yeah, the game's not perfect, but like Creighton just felt like it had too much drama around it. He felt like it was just another good Bethesda game. He kind of didn't understand why it got so much hate. He didn't really it didn't really resonate with him. But um, mm-hmm. yeah, Starfield was definitely if, if there was like a, I think. Somebody in the Discord, I think it was Joe, actually said, like, I asked in the Discord, you weren't around for this, Josh, I said, what's Sacred Icons game of the year? And I was trying to collect votes, but it didn't really work out too well. But Joe, I think, said it best. He's like, if we're being honest here, Sacred Icons game of the year, as far as conversation and hype and talking about it constantly goes, was Starfield. And I think that's a fair thing to say. Like, that was the Sacred Icon game this year. Starfield. So that's all I have to say about it, Josh. I know you didn't get to play a lot of it, but what do you want to say in regards to Starfield? Well, I feel like I've talked a lot this episode, so I will try to rein this in because I think we have voice clips and I hope we can get those in. I really, really want to hear those. So, Ooh, man, you know, I don't know. I two, I got 21 minutes. That's going to be tough to get those in. Yeah, I'm just going to summarize. Gosh. I know, I'm, I'm the buzzkill here. It's okay. It's all right. We're getting older, man. I understand. But uh, Starfield. I got a baby. And a wife, and they're taking my time. Just like that song did. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, I know what a waste. Right? <laughs> I love awkward silence. I hope that shows up on the podcast. But um, <laughs> but yeah, this look, I'm 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 so happy this game came out finally for so many people that were anticipating it, and I'm happy the people like Wesley Tiente and so many others had such a good time with it. And I know it was had a lot of controversial discourse, but. That was a, I think that was a point too where I realized I got to take a step back from the gaming discourse because um, some of it just feels like moot point and uh, just running, circling a drain. And it, ultimately, what matters at the end of the day is if you have fun. A lot of people had fun with this game and couldn't stop talking about how much they were in love with it. And I think that's what is important. And it meant a lot to a lot of people. It's going to, it's going to bring a lot of nostalgia in years to come. And I'm happy for those people. Yeah, no, well said, Josh. I mean, that's, I mean, and, and I can stand guilty of that too, is like, um, this is a game that just a lot of people loved, including myself, yet the discussion was mostly around, you know, what's what's wrong with it or what's holding it back. So, good point. Um, we'll touch on these real quick. Uh, Final Fantasy VII Ever Crisis was a big mobile game that came out this year that kind of retells the events of Final Fantasy VII with, through like a microtransaction game where the game's free and you get my, and you know, me and Josh didn't play it. I know like Wesley played it. I know it was up for uh, best mobile game of the year. It didn't win, um, but cool that Final Fantasy VII is kind of transcending you know different mediums here and and has a mobile representation. But you know not something Josh and I played. Um, 
F zero ninety nine came out for the Switch, which was like the first F zero game in I don't know ten fifteen plus years. It was a battle royale where ninety nine cars <laughs> raced at the same time, and it was it looked like it was using the F zero game from the Super Nintendo as its base. I know that uh, that was a, a notable thing that a lot of people liked playing this year. You know, Josh and I didn't touch it. Monster Hunter Now was a big mobile game that came out in the Monster Hunter universe. Josh and I obviously didn't care much about that. Uh, moving forward, we have Lies of P, which was a which pro- was probably the most successful Soulsborne game ever. That's obviously not that's why we call it Souls like. Uh, was not made by FromSoft, but it was a Soulsborne game, Souls like, um, where it was called Lies of P, which stands for Pinocchio. It's set in the Pinocchio universe. It has a very Bloodborne, <laughs> HP Lovecraftian style. Um, <laughs> Obviously, it's I hate the, the name, universe. but uh, it did really well. Yeah, so that dude, that was the, creepy the because Geppetto you got closer to the next. mic. But when I, Papa, <laughs> Papa Geppetto, when I saw your face, it was nowhere near the mic, but the voice came out loud because your face is not lined up with the audio. So, but yeah, Liza P, that was a big game this year. Um, it was in the game of the year, or not game of the year, but in some of the nominees for different categories. Um, one I wouldn't mind trying. I just freaking hate that name so much. It's just so stupid to me. I hate the title, but I know a lot of people like this game. Probably the I'll biggest. Play it when Souls they get the like sequel, around. Liza PP. Um, and then the third one, Liza PP. Yeah. Oh, I thought you said Liza PPP, <laughs> but PP Poo Poo works also. Wow, we're mature here, guys. Um, same day as Liza P was Mortal Kombat One. Josh, you want to take that one? I'm, you know, I know it's a big game this year. Yeah, I'll just summarize real quick. Uh, everything I've seen says uh, indicates that game is good, and uh, I'm a huge Mortal Kombat fan. Genuinely love it. Uh, Mortal Kombat Annihilation is my most seen movie in theaters, which uh, is insane to admit, with 11 showings. But I was a huge Mortal Kombat fan as a kid, still am to this day. I will play that game when a complete edition comes out, and it's yeah, around $20. It's not an insult to the game. It's just a short experience when I'm only going to play the story primarily. But uh, looks like it's a great game. Looks like it's another banger for another realm, and uh, I'll look forward to playing that. You managed to not pay seventy dollars for it this time, Josh. Are you proud of yourself? Yeah, learning from my mistakes with Madden and Two K, <laughs> WWE Two K. I, so. I bet you. I bet you wish you could trade Madden for for Mortal Kombat One. I bet you'd make that trade. I do love football, though. I do love football. They got me by the oh. house. Oh, so have you played? Have you actually spent a lot of time in Madden? Have you played it quite a bit? I mean, still? like I said, I played it for like a week, but I spent a lot of time playing it. Yeah, and I'll come back to it. I'm sure. Okay. Just when I get that itch, it's there. Fair enough. Fair enough. EA says that's what we like to hear. Fuck <laughs> Thank you, Madden. Josh. <laughs> um. Okay, so let's see. Moving to the next one. Payday three. That was another big game this year. Came out broken. Uh, got fixed really quick, but uh, huge player base. Not something I recall anyone in our community really playing, but I know it was another big game this year. Um, moving along here, we're getting close to some big ones. Cocoon, that was a huge indie game this year, probably right around Sea of Thieves and level of popularity. I know it won, I think it won Best Indie, Best Debut Indie, where Sea of Thieves won Best Independent. That was kind of weird. Uh, EA Sports FC 24, the first uh, FIFA game to drop the FIFA license, came out this year. Um, apparently did pretty well, uh, despite the fact. Uh, moving into October, let's see, Assassin's Creed Mirage, the first Assassin's Creed to go back to 
like the classic style of Assassin's Creed, like Assassin's Creed 1, 2, 3, you know, 4, stuff like that. I heard that uh, people who wanted that classic Assassin's Creed experience were pretty happy with it, but it didn't seem to really kind of, you know, light a fire under people as far as being anything new and inventive. It seemed like another Assassin's Creed down to the I've same kind term of repetitive stuff the original Assassin's Creed cool. had. What term's that? Light a fire. You know, light, or uh, what is it? Light the oh. spark. Light the spark. Yeah, so. That yeah, might, it'll light and, the rebellion yeah. or whatever. Uh, no, um, it's it's cool. It's cool. No hate. Just appreciate. It's cool. It's just like Maybe The Last Jedi. Ryan Johnson. <laughs> um, <laughs> Detective Pikachu Returns. I know people were talking about that on Switch. I don't... I think you said that was going to be pretty big, didn't you, Josh? I don't know if it was. Well, I was looking forward to it, but it was another one I knew I may may kind of slip. Yeah. Um, Forza Motorsport came out. Finally, uh, another entry in the Motorsport series after Horizon kind of took over. Um, it won Racing Game of the Year. Obviously, another game from Xbox. Uh, it got great reviews. I mean, it, I remember it getting like less reviews than or less, less higher review scores than like uh, the Horizon series did, but people were mostly satisfied with it. Another great game in, the, in that series. Um, let's see here. We're coming up on a Lords of the Fallen, another Souls-like game that came out. Uh, ended up kind of being middling. I think it lost its uh, flair and, and pomp, pomp and circumstance to, to Liza P, which really kind of knocked it out of the park. Um, then we get to, uh, come on, where is it? I know we're coming up on Spider-Man and Alan Wake 2. Is there anything before that? Well, we got Skull Gargoyles Island. Gargoyles Remastered. <laughs> oh, yes. Skull Gargoyles? Island made Gollum look good. There was that. Yeah. Yeah, Gargoyles Remastered. Yeah. That's cool. Though. I hate that we have to rush through the end of this, guys. I, I apologize, but I know we're... We're at two and a half hours, and that's it's okay, man. Like I said, we're getting older. So. I understand, and it's it is what it is. No big. Uh, Marvel Spider Man Two was one of one of the last big games of the year. Um, I picked that game up at launch. I know Josh did too. I don't think Josh played much of it, but I picked it up and no life did in a weekend. But to be fair, I didn't really have to no life it because I didn't do the side quests and I beat the main story in nine hours. So it really wasn't no life. It was just like oh, this is a shorter game, but. Uh, Great experience, 9 out of 10, loved it. Um, Insomniac killed it again. Um, another great entry in the Spider-Man series. I just think, you know, after playing Spider-Man 1 and then playing Miles Morales and then playing 2, it just it kind of felt like, it did kind of feel like more of the same to me, but that's not really a criticism. Uh, it's a great game. I'm sure Josh will love it when he goes through it. Um, but I know this got seven nominees at the Game Awards and didn't get any wins, and I was kind of like, yeah, I'm, I'm not really surprised. Like, you know, nominated for a lot, but not the winner of anything. If you look at what it was up against, all those categories, I feel like the winners made a lot of sense. And um, But kind of sad for Insomniac to kind of keep missing out on these awards. But they dropped great games, dude. And I love Spider-Man, too. I just I kind of beat it and moved on and didn't really stay in my mind for, for too long. You got anything you want to say about Spider-Man 2, Josh? Yeah. I didn't really play enough of it to really get a good take on it, but it looks like it's going to be great. It looks like it's another bang <laughs> nah. from Insomniac. And, uh, you know, I mean, yeah. <laughs> I know that workplace culture there is pretty healthy from what I've heard, so I'm happy for everyone that worked on that. I feel like it shows in the product. And, uh, yeah, it didn't win any awards, but at least it was nominated. That's enough in a world uh, or in a year full of the games we've already mentioned, like Hogwarts that got no non- nominations. So at least Marvel Spider-Man 2 was up yeah. for at least seven, I think. But yeah, man, we can move on. Seven's no, a lot. Uh, happy that's to see the game turned out well. Yeah, another game that solidified that as being uh, a franchise, you, if not at least a trilogy. 
Uh, new Super Mario or Super Mario Bros. Wonder came out uh, right around the same time. Um, the first uh, new Super Mario Bros. like game, 2D side scroller game, to reinvent the art style and introduce the wonder concept of like getting a wonder flower and the whole stage changing. Um, really great uh, entry into the series. Obviously, it was up for Game of the Year. It ended up not winning Game of the Year, but it did win Best Family Game. I think this might have been Nestor's Game of the Year, unless it was Pikmin, but I think it was New Super oh, Mario Bros. Cool. I, Mar- I keep wanting to say New Super Mario Bros. because it looks like a New Super Mario Bros. kind of, but it's Super Mario Bros. Wonder. Um, another big game that came out there right at the end. You'll notice that for the Game of the Year, three of the Game of the Year contenders came out like right before, like a month or less before the nominees were were shown. Spider-Man 2, Super Mario Bros. Wonder, and Alan Wake 2. Um, but let's just go into that. Alan Wake 2 came out, was it a week after? I'm trying to find what it's down on the page here. 27th. 27th? Yeah, I went mm-hmm. right by it. Okay. Um, Alan Wake 2 came out. Uh, interesting about Alan Wake 2, it did not get a retail release, no box release, um, which was kind of bold. Um, but it came out as a full um, $70 AAA title from Remedy, sequel to Alan Wake, which was you know, 10 plus years old at this point and kind of blew everyone away with its narrative and its direction. Um, Sam Lake really uh, brought it. Uh, I know several people in our discord were blown away by this. Mainly, I think a Corey Hanks blaster, his game of the year. Tony was uh, blown away by this game and it quickly rose to uh, meet Baldur's Gate three and Zelda tears of the kingdom as like the the prime three for game of the year this year. Josh and I haven't prime. played it. Um, I know that you should at least play Alan Wake one, if not control and quantum break to get the full experience out of this. Cause it kind of sets up like a remedy universe in a sense is what we've heard. It, it pays homage to all those things. Um, but yeah, I mean, Alan Wake two looks incredible. Um, it reviewed incredibly. It took a home a bunch of awards at the game game awards. You got anything to say about Alan Wake two, Josh? Alan Wake 2 is the Twin Peaks of the gaming industry, and I don't really F with that. But at the same time, I know that stuff is pretty cool and dope, and it's got its fans, and I can see why people love it. looks like an awesome, amazing game. I probably am going to play it at some point, but I kind of want to play them all, and that's going to kind of take me a while. So I don't know how soon that'll be, but I am really happy that won on Corey's behalf uh, where it did, and uh, glad that he and Tony had a great time with it. I love how like we were in we were like end of August and I'm like Josh I got 30 minutes and Josh's face was like well we're screwed. <laughs> um, hey, we're we're trying. But, I want to get those uh, voice clips in if we can make it. I'm trying, I'm trying guys. We're pr- we're pretty much here at the end of the year, guys. Um, you know, I'll, I'll throw out that um, the Nickelodeon brawler was up for a fighting game. It didn't win, obviously. And then the last big kind of game to touch on this year. I know it's important to Josh. Something that um, I do have one before that. Diente's real excited about was the Avatar Frontiers of Pandora, which is still. I mean, it just came out. Like, was it this week? Was it this week that it came out? Um, I think it was last. Or week. Was it last week? Last week. Mm-hmm. Last week. Okay, so people are still playing it. Uh, it got pretty good reviews. Um, it's a game that uh, people are saying, kind of like Hogwarts Legacy. Like, yo, it's kind of my dream Avatar game here. It really paid respect to the series. I know Josh is looking forward to play it. Diente loves it. Um, if I had nothing better to do, I might even play it because it looks like a really cool game, um, honestly, that uh, fits well within the movie's uh, canon. But, um, Josh, you want to comment on that and then also go back to the games I skipped? Uh, you said I skipped one or, or so. 
Yeah, no, Avatar, I can't wait to play it. I'm just waiting for the complete edition, and it's it's not any slight to the, the game having DLC and stuff. It's just knowing who I am, and uh, you know, I, I need to wait for some of these things rather than get them right away. And uh, I can't wait to play it. It's the dream fully realized. I can't wait for the next Avatar films. They're a spiritual. It's like a religious experience for me when I go to see these movies, and that might sound laughable or ridiculous, but I absolutely love uh, The Escape, and I love Pandora, and I can't wait to play this game. But I'm looking forward to playing the complete edition when it's all out, all patched up, and uh, you know, get that nice little complete edition game of the year, whatever you want to call it, Sheen on it. 2077 spin on I accidentally I was in such a rush, I accidentally just skipped the month of November. So yeah, there's a couple games that got skipped here. <laughs> go ahead, Josh. <laughs> okay. I got two I want to mention myself, but go ahead. Well, uh, RoboCop Rogue City, um, this was just another dreamfully realized type thing for RoboCop fans. I didn't think anyone expected this to do well, but it reviewed very well and looks like a lot of fun. I will pick it up at some point. Uh, it just looks looks very fun. But uh, over to you, Brian. Um, well, Super Mario RPG, I mean, I mentioned it briefly, but that's you know, that's a full-on remake of a 1996 Super Nintendo game. I never got to play the original really. I mean, I did play around in it a little bit, but I never really played it seriously. Uh, picked this up thinking that I'd probably add it to my collection and, and pull a Josh and let it sit there and not play it. Um, but I uh, I went to my parents for Thanksgiving and brought with me my Switch and Super Mario RPG. And to my delight, I spent about 10 hours in that game, and I'm right at the end of the game right now. It's amazing uh, turn-based classic square RPG set in the Mario universe with like cool little like side characters that never reappeared again. I mean, it's... A, I don't know if you knew this, Josh, but like in the Zelda game Link's Awakening, there is like a Mario character and like a a, a chain chomp from Mario in the Zelda game. Well, much like that in this Super Mario RPG, there is like an enemy that looks like Donkey Kong. Like it's a very quirky kind of weird game. Very faithful RPG, very well done, or faithful uh, remake, very cool RPG. It's about 15 hours you can complete it in. One of my favorite Mario games of all time, immediately, Super Mario RPG. It just went right up the list. It's awesome. I love That's it. very cool. I think it's awesome. Yeah, I you will love it, too. If the day ever comes that you manage to pick this up and play it, you will have a blast, especially if oh, it's you love third person, or I'm not third person. Um, yeah, you love the uh, turn-based stuff even more than I do, so that'll be pretty awesome for you um what was yeah, that other game absolutely, man. wanted to i got one for oh, yeah. december the other 5th. game call of duty modern warfare, warfare 3 <laughs> the less said about modern that warfare one 3, i just want to throw that one out there because yeah um you guys know that activision pumps these call of duties out every year and it's just bullshit but this year was extra egregious behind the scenes information is revealed that this was a modern warfare 2 uh expansion that they just shoehorned into a full release Everything in this game is re-released maps, re-released levels. Um, the campaign's like four hours or less long, uh, long. It's got war zone maps, like open world maps, juxtaposed into campaign levels. It People are saying it's the worst campaign ever in Call of Duty history. Uh, I love that Christopher Judge, he came out on stage at the Game Awards and said, <laughs> hey, my speech last year was longer than the Call of Duty campaign this year, which was hilarious, but actually upset some Call of Duty devs. I do understand it can be disrespectful to devs who didn't have much say in the matter, but like at the same time, you got to be like, come on. Gamers have been getting shafted with Call of Duty for a, over a decade, and now you just release a game that's a hodgepodge of like old material and slap a $70 price on it. Like It's ridiculous. So yeah, another Call of Duty game this year. I will say I think it was awesome. It made headlines. There was headlines that were like, 
For the first time, Call of Duty is not the most Googled game this year. It's Hogwarts Legacy. So kudos to you, Hogwarts Legacy, for uh, beating out uh, Call of Duty for most Googled game. Also, in the same way that Josh mentioned that like Baldur's Gate 3 had a way of like continuing to be in the conversation this year because it had multiple releases, you know, PC, PS5, Xbox. Hogwarts Legacy did the same thing. That might be why it's the most Googled. It released on next-gen consoles, then it staggered released on uh, old-gen, and then it finally just released on Switch. So it kind of had the same thing going for it that Baldur's Gate did. But, um, yeah, Josh, that brings us up to uh, Frontiers of Pandora, which we kind of talked about. Um, well, is there any other games I missed? I could chime in real quick. I got two to qu- mention very quickly. Yeah, yeah. Disney Dreamlight Valley had its full release after being in sort of a early access type of thing for like two years or whatever. Uh, one of my favorite games of all time. I love Dreamlight Valley. It's a life simulation game like uh, uh, I'm forgetting right now. I'm trying to hustle through. But I uh, absolutely love that game. Brought me a lot of good mental health this year. And I recommend recommend it for Disney fans. Secondly, Lord of the Rings Return to Moria. Never really interested me, but had John Rhys-Davies return to voice Gimli. And I saw a little epilogue thing where John Reese Davies as Gimli is talking about how he is older and he, you know, wants to see these, this person, that person. But in the end, he says something like, I really want to have one last journey with Legolas. And I was just like, Oh, it just was so cool. And uh, very cool to have him return to that, but we can move on. Yeah. I mean, and you you were like, ah, it just makes me wish I had that one more ending in return of the King. That's probably what you were thinking. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, guys, I mean, I know we kind of rushed through it there at the end, but let's answer, let's answer the question, Josh here, uh, is 2023 the best year in gaming and to, to be very sacred icon about it, let's say objectively and subjectively. And Josh, let's kind of, let's, let's hash that, that question out here, uh, after we just went through all these releases. Now we covered everything we thought was notable. Let me reiterate again here uh, before we answer the question, kind of what the big heavy hitters were. We had Dead Space Remake. We had Resident Evil 4 Remake. We had Zelda Tears of the Kingdom. We had Diablo 4. We had Final Fantasy 16, Baldur's Gate 3, Alan Wake 2, Starfield, um, Super Mario Wonder, uh, Super Mario RPG Remake, um, Spider-Man 2, <clears throat> Avatar, Frontiers of Pandora, um, probably a couple other big heavy hitters that I just managed to leave out there, but very big games, a, a chock full year. Um, I know personally there is four games out of this year that are on my top 50 already. Uh, Josh, obviously Baldur's Gate 3 is in his top five. Josh, I'll let you go first. 2023, best year in gaming? No, but uh, I think that's just, I think a lot of that's recency bias, or at least I think, I think that's a valid like statement, but it just uh, needs to be reevaluated as as it ages a bit. Let it age a bit, you know. It's like 2020, the worst year ever, probably the worst year we ever lived in, but maybe not the worst year for other people of all time. So it's just a it's just a thing. It needs more time to kind of gel a bit. But hey, it's been a great year for it. Absolutely. What about you, buddy? So you would say both subjectively and objectively, no. Yeah, for now. I mean, it could be, though. I just need more time. I just need more time to cook on that. Okay. Well, I mean, I think obviously Josh is um, wanting to let it breathe more makes sense. I mean, I think factually you have to, right? Like the year is technically not over yet. It's going to be a reflection as years go on to really know. But I'll just make the – I'll just say the bold claim. I think objectively – and of course when I say objectively, that doesn't mean it's a fact. It's just me looking at the catalog of games – 
I think this is the best year in gaming. Um, and in the Discord, uh, just a couple days ago, I went through all the years that that were like major notable years, and I listed the big games that came out that year. You know, there was '98, there was 2006, 2005, 2007, there was 2011, there was, um, and then I don't know what it might have been another couple years, but I listed some big years. You know, years that like you did. that had like 2011 was like Skyrim, Dark Souls, Gears of War three, um, and and we all kind of talked about. Um, you know, what is the best year of all time? And of course there's going to be the subjective angle where it's like, like for me personally, you know, my, my favorite year of all time probably wouldn't be 2023, but as far as list of games that are good games that I enjoy games that I wanted to play, I think 2023 has the most of them of any gaming year I can point out. So objectively I would personally, you know, very early on, obviously the year's not even over. I would say, yeah, it's 2023. Um, but no, personally, I'm probably going to go with either 2011 or 98. But uh, what do you want to say, Josh? Oh, nothing. No, I was just not in agreement. Okay. Um, oh, wow. Damn it. <laughs> Erica just texted me and she's like, long story, but I haven't even been able to leave yet. You So the thing was, Erica was supposed to be here at 3.30 and she was going to cook and hand me the baby. Well, she hasn't even left yet. So, but hey, we rushed this far along. Let's get them voice clips, Josh. How's I'm so glad to hear that. I'm so glad to hear that. That sounds great. It's meant Let's to do be, it, man. But I feel like I feel like that was a poor buildup, though. Like the whole question of this episode was: Is 2023 the best year in gaming? And well, let me cook a little. I'll tell you what. Now that we, you even less, we got a little, you even less than me. But yeah, you go ahead. Yeah, I think it's been a great year. I think it kicked off very strongly. I think the middle of the year was very strong, and I think it ended very strong. I, I mean, just all throughout each, you know, beginning, middle, and end of the year, I thought it had a lot of great pickings, a lot of great choices, a lot of good variables, whether you were AAA or, you know, indie, uh, just a lot of different in variety, graphics, visual fidelity, um, gameplay offerings in terms of genre buildups. You know, you had like the Diablo 4 type of game. I don't know what the hell those are called, but, you know, it's its own thing. You got uh, action role playing. Yeah. Thank you. And you got your turn based. I can count on Brian to come in clutch there. But yeah, you got your turn based with Baldur's Gate. You got your, you know, first person shooters, your third person shooters, your, you know, puzzle solving, you know, your indies, isometrics. All, I mean, all that type of stuff, it feels like was hit. So I could absolutely see this being the best year in gaming ever. You know, yeah. I what, just. What genre didn't get attention? Right. Was it feels one? like everything did, you know, and if not, it's like, well, everything else did. So, you know, it probably will next year. Right. So it, yeah. it was just a great year for gaming and I just want to let it cook a little bit more for me, but I can absolutely see this being the best year. I mean, I feel like I was, you know, patting myself on the back here. I feel like I was one of the first people that made that claim, but you know, you don't know, you don't know in, in, until time passes and you can romanticize some of that stuff a little bit. You know, I, I didn't know in 2011 that it was going to be uh, talked about as one of the best years in gaming. I didn't. I didn't think about 2007 while I was living it that it was going to be considered one of the best years in gaming. True. I know that we're here now, being a podcast and being more into the, the industry and stuff. But hey, that's awesome. It's awesome to see. You love to see it after you know what the last couple of years have been. Um, great shotgun blast of games and a, what a contrast. Uh, what a what a contrast to what movies have been this year. Just seeing bomb after bomb after bomb and being on that end of the spectrum with that. Uh, I mean, I've loved a lot of movies, but uh, I didn't 2023's movies haven't hit for me as much as last year's did, but gaming wise, whew, I've had more fun than I've had in the last several years combined this year. So still a great year. 
Yeah, I mean, you made you made a good point. Like, I think more than any other year, 2023 was hyped up as the greatest year in gaming before it started. Whereas 2011, 2007, they really weren't. And bit more see, like 2007, like something like 2007. Like for those of you that don't know, like the reason we're like mentioning a year like that is because that was the year that Bioshock as a franchise started, Mass Effect as a franchise started, Assassin's Creed started, Call of Duty of the Modern Warfare variety started, Halo 3 released that year. There was a lot of, uh, just a lot of games Ends kind of and set beginnings the industry in motion for what we are today. Yeah, mm-hmm. it was a big year. Now, the reason for me that 2007 isn't personally my favorite year is the only game in my top 50 that released that year is Halo 3. Like, I love Mass Effect. I don't care about Call of Duty. I love Bioshock, but it's not in my top 50. You know, I don't care about Assassin's Creed, so that it's not there for me. 2011, now that's a hard-hitting year for me. I had Skyrim, I had Arkham City, I had Dark Souls, I had Gears of War 3, plus several others that I didn't mention. But um, yeah, 2023 is, uh, is definitely uh, definitely a, a contender in a big way. Josh, before I get into the voice clips, I want to read off. I hadn't planned this, but... Um, a buddy of ours in the Discord messaged me and said something that I actually really, really appreciated because um, much like right now where, you know, things you guys can tell between like oh, the dog barking and now oh, my wife's coming home, we got to get, get off here quick. Josh and I want to give a good podcast for you guys. I mean, we know we, we got a lot of like dedicated listeners. We got patrons. We want to give a good podcast for you guys. And we try to do that. I try to have my wife take care of the baby and spend hours alone so I can do this and, and Josh not get sleep or not do things with his dad or whatever, um, to give you guys a good podcast. And, you know, sometimes things like this happen where we mention, Oh, I got to hurry up and do this. And, but Darren and the Darren in the discord, um, messaged me and and said something that made me feel uh, pretty great because we worry about this stuff like, oh, we're not delivering the podcast of high enough quality. So he said, um, I know Josh hasn't been on the Discord much, so if you want to pass this on to him, you can. But I want to just tell you guys that I've been absolutely loving everything you guys do for the community and the podcast. Three-hour episodes aren't easy. Thanks for caring about bringing us good content. I love listening to you and Josh just chatting about everything honestly. I'm sure it can be hard at times to do this podcast and work and live a life outside of work. I decided to up my patron to $10 a month, not because I want extra rewards, but because I want you guys to be able to keep on doing this for a while. Not looking for thanks or anything, just want to let you guys know that you're both awesome, and I want to help support you guys to keep doing what you love. If I had the budget for the $50 a month tier, I would do it. You guys are great. So that's Darren from the Discord. Just thanks a lot, dude. And there's also several other people over time who have said similar things that aren't getting mentioned at this moment. And I don't mean to leave you out, but this was a specific thing this week that was recently sent to me from Darren. And as we try to rush through this and get everything covered, I'm thinking of his his uh, his message and, and being appreciative of it. So, yeah. That's very cool. Thank you so much, Darren, for for that. Not only uh, the, the kind words, but also up in the patron. That means a lot. And um, we're nourished by that kind of stuff. Just the feedback, the feedback over the money. But I mean, just, just hearing that positive feedback positive enforcement because you know when you're in content creation unless it's bad youtube feedback, feedback then we prefer the money <laughs> when you're when you're like in content creation on youtube you constantly see feedback in your comment section but when you're a podcast you only really get that way if you have a discord or like apple pod reviews you know just reviews in general and uh you know it's nice to hear that stuff and sometimes you know 
people don't get to hear that enough and uh, really appreciate the kind words, the kindness, the selflessness you gave uh, for that. So thank you so much, man. And uh, yeah, these three hour episodes have been a freaking blast, man. We've been having so much fun. Josh and I are at our best when we don't have a time limit. That's why it's extra frustrating when I'm like, Josh, I know we're doing great, but I got to cut this shit short, but it's just hard. Life's hard, man. So, um, Josh, you ready to hear from Wesley? We've got Wesley and Deante to talk about 2023 as a year. Are you ready for Wesley? 100. Thanks again, Darren. We love you. Yeah, thank you, Darren. All right, boys. Since you decided to pull a little switcheroo on us, here's another voice clip for you. Is 2023 the best year in gaming? Well, it probably is. I'm not going to dispute that. But it's definitely not the best year in gaming for me. In fact, I think I'm going to end up playing more uh, new games next year than I did this year. But that doesn't that doesn't speak to the quality of games released this year at all. Just just kind of my personal tastes. I do have um, an interesting thought for you guys, though. I was thinking, um, and this no in no way invalidates the way that 2023 turned out. I just think it's an interesting thought. As soon as COVID happened, this this buildup of games in this specific year was was like guaranteed to happen, wasn't it? Like it was it was just bound to happen. Yeah, I think yeah. We it's both not agree. like yeah. a bunch of brand new IP or um I don't know. It's not like a bunch of brand new things were intended to all happen on the same year. You're right. You, you know what You're I'm right. saying? Does that make sense? Like yep. it doesn't yeah, feel man. the same as like a 2007. Or I don't I don't know maybe a 1998 or a 2011 where that kind of just happened naturally. True. Like this doesn't feel like it really happened naturally. And again, that doesn't take away anything from this year. I just thought that might be an interesting idea to throw around. I don't know. Let me know what you think. Keep it sacred, my guys. Yeah, I mean, I I think I mean you said it. I think you're right. Like it doesn't really change anything about the quality of 2023. But I still like when an interesting perspective like that's brought up. I, th- I think it's worth talking about. Like, I don't think 2023 would look anything like this if COVID never had happened. You know, we may have had a year where Baldur's Gate 3's only comp. It could have been just like Baldur's Gate 3 and Diablo 4 was in the same year. And then Starfield and Zelda was in the same year. And then Baldur's Gate 3 was alone at some other time. Like, but all these things kind of got bunched up into this year. And then a lot of games that probably would have been more successful had they been in a less populated year, like Immortals of Avium. Like if Immortals of Avium had come out in a dry year, there's a decent chance some of us would have just said, hey, you guys seen that new like AAA shooter? I'll, I'll pick it up. Why not? But because we knew what we had already and what was coming, we're like, I'm not going to put $70 on Immortals of Avium. Like Starfield's like a month away, you know? So yeah, I think those are great points, Wesley. Over to you, Josh. Yeah, man, I uh, love your voice message. Thanks for sending that one in too. Uh, great to hear from you again, man. Yeah, I, uh, I, you know, like I, I like I said, I don't think it's the. I think I'm in the same boat. I don't think it's uh, the game of the year for me either, or I mean, uh, the best year in gaming. But uh, I can see why it is for other people. And I played a couple games, and they were all great. And there's a lot that slipped between the cracks that I really wanted to play that I will play in the years to come, and and it will make me reflect back on this year. Uh, even more in higher regard and be like, man, that really was a good year. But you're right. I, I always you know, have felt like this was the shotgun blast. You know, there's like this scene in big trouble in little China, right? For you guys listening. And at the very end of the movie, 
there's this dude who runs into Kurt Russell and in, in company. And like he starts to his body completely starts to expand and he's like getting fatter and fatter and fatter and he's like ah, 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 and he's screaming and then he just spontaneously combusts. And that's what it felt like twenty twenty to twenty twenty three was. As soon as we hit day one, bam, the shotgun blast happened, the dude blows up, whatever you want to call it, you know. And I uh, laugh it feels every like time everything. At that part. Oh, dude, it's one of the funniest things I've ever seen in any movie ever. I mean, I'm people talk about my hyena laugh or like scream laughing. Oh my god, dude, I'm I'm in stitches. But yeah, I, I feel like that's what this year was, and uh, it was great to see. And it'll be an interesting story to see in time how different it was because I feel like the shotgun blast worked very well for gaming, but it did not work well for cinema. So it's just very, that stuff is very fascinating to me, that type of conversation. But uh, it was very cool to see it happen with video games. And, uh, you know, I don't need it to happen again. But every couple of years is nice. I feel, I, I'm going to say right now, even though it'll probably age like milk, but I feel like 2025 is going to be that. Maybe not as close, but I feel like it's going to be that for gaming and movies again. We'll see. I'll be wrong. But thank you, Wesley. It definitely staggers. It definitely staggers. So it, it probably won't be twenty twenty four to me. Like right now, looks like pretty bleak. Like I mean, all I can think of is Rebirth, maybe Dreadwolf. I can't think of much else that appeals to me. But yeah, okay. Let's hear from our boy Diente. Gentlemen, what's up? It's your boy Diente here to talk about what I'm excited for in twenty twenty four. Well, first of all. Oh, that's probably the biggest one. Um, Really looking forward to that game. Probably won't be until later in the year. Also, a couple Kickstarter projects I backed should be coming out before that. Looking forward to those ones as well. Towerborn a little bit. Um, And then probably Space Marine 2. And Joshipu Avatar games. Pretty fun. I'd probably give it an 8 out of 10 right now. Absolutely beautiful game. Movement is fluid. Um, The only thing that sucks is absolutely horrible is the dialogue. And then I played this one part where I was flying in a dream as a moth bee thing. <laughs> and that was pretty lame. But, I mean, the shooting is great when there is shooting to be done. Other than that, probably get an 8 out of 10. Maybe even a 7 subjective. But a uh, beautiful world. I think you'd love it, Joshy Poo. Anyway, <laughs> you guys have a great day. Hope your podcast goes awesome love you dudes man what a lovable guy i i think i i didn't tell everyone very well but like so originally we were going to do a podcast today about games of 2024 but me and josh said we're going to push that one out a couple weeks we're going to talk the about the games of 2023 My bad, guys. and is this the is this the well i did tell people but i didn't tell people well enough for them all to see it so diente still sent that in regards to 2024 but he mostly talked about avatar so that fits pretty well actually with this episode but uh yeah diente um Avatar. I don't know. Seven out of ten, huh? <laughs> what do you say, Josh? <laughs> well, yeah. Uh, Space Marine Two is that a Warhammer game? I feel like that's a Warhammer game, but I might be wrong. I'm sorry if I am Diente. But uh, yeah, I've yeah, seen... it's like the Warhammer 40k. Yeah. Doesn't it kind of look like Gears? We didn't of War? mention it on our on our Game Awards announcement. It wasn't on the Kotaku list that I was reading off of. Well, isn't he saying it's that like, that's Diente something he's looking forward to for next year? Yeah, but when we were. We were talking about all the announcements at the Game Awards. We didn't mention that game, but it was announced. Oh, it probably. wasn't on the Kotaku list. 
Well, hey, I look forward to like so seeing more Pukaku. of that game and potentially playing it. And uh, I love the Joshipu <laughs> nickname. <laughs> I appreciate that. I've had so many nicknames over the years: Joshipu, Joshiwashi, Joshi Josh, Josh, Joshika. You name it. I uh, got all kinds of them. Uh, so I appreciate that. I'll uh, you know add it to the repertoire. It's gonna make a fine addition to my collection. But hey, man, Avatar. So cool to hear that. I'm very happy to hear that. Uh, I've skimmed a little bit of some reviews just to get an impression, but I'm kind of going to stay in the dark, I think, until I really get my hands on it. But thanks so much, man, for following up uh, when I asked you about that on the previous episode. Great to hear the impressions. I know the gameplay is going to be sputtery smooth. Uh, and like you said, it looks beautiful. And uh, I, I got to play that moth. I got to be that moth, bro. I got to have that spiritual abstract experience you're talking about whenever I do play it and be like, this is what Deante was talking about. But uh, hey, man, thanks so much for sending in that clip. Always great to hear from your voice. Uh Great to hear from you. Great to hear from your voice. I make it sound like you're the apparition that uh, of that kid that appears in Thor: Love and Thunder. But uh, yeah, man, love you, dude. Love you, Wesley. Love you, Darren. Love you, everyone in the community. Love you guys so much. Thank you so much for everyone that sends that stuff in. Who's been really supportive? Who's reached out to me? I'm going long, Brian. I'm sorry, baby. I'm sorry, baby. But uh, thank you to everyone who's reached out to me via Instagram and uh, just staying in contact or reaching out and uh, just keeping the vibes good for Brian and in the Discord running things and uh supporting us man these episodes have been especially fun lately as we close out the year and it's starting to get us really excited for next year's stuff uh three episodes in a row bringing us to a total of nine hours of content i'd say we're delivering josh we're certainly certainly trying um luckily is erica home erica's yet? still not home yet i'm gonna go ahead and read this no i'm gonna read the patron list i'm gonna do it quick though because she can show up anytime and when she does them dogs are gonna go crazy here we go are you ready josh i want to make it i want to make it to three hours if we can Okay, we're going to try. Here we go. We need like five minutes because I messed up in the intro. We, got. <laughs> <laughs> we also, but I also have to add the music and the add-on, so it'll be good. Hey, that's it'll true. That's um, true. Here we go. We have Darren, Trickster, Jacob Nyrene, Death Ghost, Installation 00, Boba's Feet, Deante Ombre, Wesley Types, Sparkies, Hocus Locust, William Green, Albino, I Irving TV, AJ's Dank, Fallout 152, Ian Rucker, Shin Revel, Ascending from the Ashes, Born Anew, Irish Phoenix, The Dav, Jared Hartley, Small Print, Aaron, Colton Pittman, Rodan, Butter My Waffles, Nerva, ACDC Outlaw, Anthony Dorsey, Chris Greco, Miguel, have you seen my Greco? It's Chris Greco. I said, Chris Greco, Miguel, it's my Greco. Have you seen my Chris Greco? Uh, we got our boy Tony, Nick Terry, Mustard Chief. I cannot see a certain darn dilly billy thing because i am trapped underneath aries 0430's mustache and it is dark in here and he needs to shave josh is like it's pathetic it's the same thing every time from brian we got montana menace green plumber joshy big boy ryan barca biggest nascar thunder 2003 fan dustin mondre anthony nicolosi Corey hanks prianchu mh cosplay dropping into the ceiling with that odst chili drop pod ian big dog mills spiciest meme lord photon K and Nick, who said, well, this podcast was quality until you started rushing it. Now it sucks dick. Um, <laughs> <laughs> why does it suck dick? I didn't Accident on my part. <laughs> then we have the original Halo podcaster, <laughs> Dust Storm. And finally, the man who saw <laughs> Justice League and knew it needed more, Matthew Salvatore, my friend. Guys, thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Sacred I love you guys. podcast. We love you. And as always, keep it sacred. <clears throat> Man, that audio was screwed up. Yeah, it was pretty bad. I didn't notice it was happening uh, because I was watching so many of the videos. And then once you mentioned it, and then I, <laughs> and then I really started to realize it. 
And dude, when you just laughed there at the end, I couldn't hear most of it. Most hmm. of it didn't come through. I think it'll be okay. there for the recording, though. Yeah, if it, if, if I don't know anything that happens, I'm not going to be upset about because it's it's not a fault of ours. It's fucking Squadcast. But dude, another banger. Yeah, dude, we've been on a roll. I think it's I think it's a good idea to get away from Saturday mornings. I really do. Yeah, I'm fine with it. We got more time and energy doing it like this. We'll yeah, figure out a set day in the works new year. A lot better for you. Know, yeah. Um, okay. Well, I'm going to end this. And I wonder how long we would have went for a minute <laughs> if I had never thought Erica was coming home. <laughs>